0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I glory to thee, O God, glory to thee, Heavenly King, O comfort of the Spirit of truth, who art everywhere present and fillest all things, O treasure of your good and bestower of life. Come and dwell in us, and cleanse us from every stain, and save our souls, O good one. with god's help we're now up to part two of the saints and holy elders on married life talk 55 talk 54 was part one which was uh last month and now we come to part two but as i go on with this with the material for this talk i'm finding that it's extending, uh, just like St. Nectaris, I was meant to do one or two talks and it turned out to be five. In, for this topic, I don't know um, when we will stop. So we'll see how we, how we uh, proceed. In the last talk, I actually mentioned to you something that Elder Macarius of Optina said when he wrote to someone, was he used to write letters to people all over Russia, giving them advice. Elder Macarius of Optina, and he said, "No connection on earth is greater than that between man and wife. When we read things, all of us, myself and you people as well, we must try to penetrate into the words that's including when we read the Holy Gospel, when we read the Holy Fathers, when we read the lives of saints. Don't read things as if you're reading a newspaper. And even so, I think people read newspapers with more attention. People have a lot of distractions today. And they haven't got time for their minds to actually even focus on scriptures, on the lives of saints and, you know, the things of um, our church. And the devil as well works where he makes us to be agitated to think of other things that we have to do or think about things that people have done to us. He'll do anything and whatever he can to make us not focus on the words of of God. Now, no connection on earth is greater than that between man and wife. If people took that and, and went to their marriage... Knowing that, I think we'll have less problems today. But let's let's look at even what St John Chrysostom says. He actually quotes where he says, A certain wise man, when listing which blessings are the most important, included, and he quotes from the Old Testament, a wife and husband who live in harmony. That is one of the greatest blessings to see. A man and a woman, a husband and wife that live in harmony and what 's the most if that 's a great blessing, so what do we say is the most repulsive, the most disgusting, the most horrible is to see a husband and wife that fight continually have no unity. I remember when I went to a priest years ago before I became before I decided to become a priest, I went to a uh, a priest that I used to confess to many years ago I think I've told you this and I asked him uh, I wanted his blessing he's uh, his, um, about whether I should become a priest or not and he said to me that to think about it he goes do you know he said what it's like to be in a room when you've got a husband and a wife who are at each other's throats continually fighting and trying to reconcile him that's what he mentioned that was Probably the only thing that he mentioned as being, from what he told me, the, the, the negative aspect of all his years as a priest. That's what he said to me. He didn't say things like waking up in the night, going to visit someone at all, all times. He didn't say any of that. He just said, do you know what it's like to have a woman and a man in front of you that are fighting continually and you can't even reconcile them. So, interesting as well that Elder Macarius of Optina was a monk and St John Chrysostom was also a monk. And later on, obviously, he became a bishop and Elder Macarius was a priest. And yet these people are given advice about marriage. Actually, St John Chrysostom... Uh, there's a book in English about married life, family life, by St John Chrysostom, and that's published by St Vladimir's Press. That would be an important book to have. Now the funny thing is, or well, the strange thing is, why would a monk be writing about married life when they never been married? I suppose the same question can be asked, what am I speaking about married life when I'm, when I'm not married? Now, in the last talk, one of the main things that we learned that Elder Paisios talked about, and we went into a lot of detail, was that a lot of people who came to him complain about their spouses and saying, oh, we've got opposite personalities, we don't get on, Um, she's got a different mind to me or he's got a different spirit to me and all these fights continually. Many of them thought that they would be able to live more spiritually or if their spouse were similar in personality and character. On this topic, Elder Pais just taught that, if you remember from the last talk, different personalities actually create harmony because they complete each other so when you've got a person with one personality and a person with another personality, they complement each other. They that this person needs this person, this person needs that person's character, etc. Um, that is where God can work. So it says he actually creates harmony because they complete each other. He would even say to married couples, because you are similar, you don't match. Now after the talk. Someone came up to me and said that they heard on the radio an interview from some American professor that came here. Don't know what he was, psychologist, psychiatrist, sociologist. We couldn't find that later on. But anyway, now this woman said to me at the end of the talk, and I said to her, why didn't you say that was actually excellent? She said, they're having an interview on the radio, and he said that these matchmaking websites are not really doing a service for people by trying to bring together, people with the same personalities. He said that differences are necessary so that each person complements the other. And what does that show? Does that mean that American professors are same? No. What it means is that God enlightens even pagans, even unbelievers. He doesn't leave people without... Because, for example, there are a lot of people who are unorthodox, There are a lot of people who do not have access to the same things that we have, the writings of the saints. And why should God leave them? So that's why sometimes even in these these, um, disciplines, these like psychology um, and other type of things like that, they actually come close to the truth. Why? To help people who don't have that access Because this whole thing with these matchmaking.coms and all that type of stuff, they're actually doing a lot of damage. And that's why God allowed that to happen. Even in in education, you see it. I'm surprised sometimes they go, oh, they're saying the exact thing of what Saint so-and-so said. Many Orthodox Christians read more books about monastic life than books on the married life and I've spoken about this a lot, rather than reading books about how to live as an Orthodox Christian in the world, people are reading about Desert Fathers. People are reading about the ascetics that drank water once every five days, how they slept on the ground. And does that mean that Orthodox Christians shouldn't read those, those type of books? Of course they should read those books. Those books are inspiring and they put us down to see how far away we are from, you know, from our own sacrifice. Not that we should have to do the exact things as them, but at least we can have some repentance and say, why am I complaining about my fast, which is much easier than when I look at these holy people that are doing great things? And this is, a, this is causing a lot of problems. And that's why I think even some bishops in, for example, in America, uh, some of them are against their faithful reading these books. And it can come across that they are against monasticism. Some of them, of course, are, but not all of them. I think the reason is because they see that people... Uh, fall into deception and that marriages, breakups occur because some woman might read a book and then all of a sudden she believes that she's like St John of Cronstan and therefore she's going to say, I don't want any marital relations anymore with my husband and then cause a whole disaster. And the reason for these problems is because people gravitate, that they're more attracted to these supernatural books, to these books which are talking about miracles and great feats, instead of reading books which are to do with the world, of how to live in the world, books that are written for married people, books that are written for how to bring up children. I can always tell a person who's read too much of those books, they come up and they'll speak to me and they could be married with children. What's the first thing they say to me? They might say, I notice that if I eat a little bit too much, I have demonic thoughts. And if I drink too much water, I have... Uh, visions of devils or something. I don't know what they... They're just mad... The, the madness that pours out of them. And you can always... You say, do you read ascetical books? Oh, I read a the Syrian. I read this. I read that. And that's how you know that there's something wrong with them. Do they ask any questions about the upbringing of their children? No. Do they ask any questions about how to relate to their wives or husbands? No. What do they ask about? All the ascetical things and on and, that. And that's because they're reading too much of those other books and not reading books. Like, for example, last time I said to you that this book here, Journey to Heaven, by St Tikhon of Zadonsk, produced by Holy Trinity Monastery Jordanville, that book is written entirely for people in the world. Relationships between husbands and wives and children and Christians with Christians and how to do business dealings and how... To and all those type of uh, topics which are very, very important. On pride, on love of neighbour, on the duty of leaders, on the duty of subordinates, those who are under leaders, on the duty of priests, on the duty of the flock towards their pastor, on the duty of husbands and wives in marriage, on the duty of parents, on the duty of children, and things like that. And there are many, many other books which have that same type of goal, especially that book on married life, St John Chrysostom. So, today, if you don't remember much, at least take away that one thing. Be careful of reading books that could affect you. All foods are good, but certain foods might not be good for 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 a person, or too much of one food can cause a person to get sick. That's the same in the spiritual life. The church has given us this whole assortment, like a, a buffet, one can say, of spiritual foods. We have, the, uh, we have the Gospels, we have the writings of the fathers, the lives of saints, the ascetical fathers, writings of the saints for people in the world. That It's like we're going to a, uh, one of those um, boards. Or a Greek party where they've got all this food, all that you can have, whatever you want. Now, you can have meatballs there, you can have chicken, you can have some salads. Now, if a person loses themselves and just eats all the meatballs, then they're going to get sick. It's the same as in the spiritual life. You've got to have everything in moderation and with discernment. I remember reading a, a saint that, that he said that when people read the wrong material or try to struggle in a, in, to do things which is beyond them, he says it's like they're chasing their, their shadows. Do you ever, when you chase your shadow, do you ever catch it? No, that's the same as these people. They're wasting their time trying to achieve something which is not achievable due to their circumstances. You, we in the world can't live live the life of those ancient ascetics. Or even Elder Joseph the Hesychus, for example, that lived in the fifth that died in the nineteen fifties, where he lived in Mount Athos in the desert. We can't get there. Instead of trying to do something that they can do. Now I noticed this when I was teaching at school. So you have different levels of mathematics. Got level one, level two, A, B, C, whatever. And certain time, I think around the year ten level, people can choose what they want to do in the next thing for year eleven and twelve to sit for their final exams. What they're gonna to... and you see people trying to do levels of maths that are too high for them. So if they were doing a very basic level of maths in the junior high school, and all of a sudden they want to do some higher level with calculus and integration, things like that. How are they going to do that? And yet, sometimes they just don't understand. So I say to them, or used to say, just do a, better to do a level that you can achieve rather than doing something that you're not going to pass. And in that, see like there's deception in spiritual life, there's deception in, the, in, in there as well. But they persist, they go and do it and they just fail and then they get low self-esteem and they just fall, fall down completely and don't get anything. So it's the same in the spiritual life. Have humility. All of us need to have humility to pick the level which is ours, and that's why we go to discerning spiritual fathers who care for our souls and get advice as well. Talks you can listen to, and there are a lot of books which talk about discernment in the spiritual life and we've done a lot of talks on that especially talks 41 and 42 on the, um, the, the two levels of deception one is trying to achieve exalted feelings and the other one's trying to achieve, achieve exalted levels um, okay so let's see what Elder Epiphanius has to say which is this book here "Counsels for Life he was a Greek priest, a priest-monk that lived uh, up, to, I think he died around the um, 80s. And this book I like because he speaks about spiritual life of people in the world. So it's Councils for Life from the life and teachings of Father Epifanios published by Orthodox Kipseli, which is a, published in Greece, but in, but in English. Some bookstores in America or here might have that. Now, I picked one one thing from there. He said, Elder Epiphanius used to say, how sneaky is the devil? To my spiritual j- children who make a successful Christian marriage, he whispers to them, how much better would, it have, would you be if you went to a monastery and lived the heavenly spiritual delights, far from family concerns, which distract you and pull you down. Just like we celebrated the feast day of Theophany and we said that Christ was baptised and after he was baptised he went to the desert. For 40 days he fasted and, and he prayed and there the devil came and tempted him. That's the same as the devil tempts us. The devil may not tempt us like he tempts the holy saints where he appears to them and does these um, really scary type of um, things. But to us, it's mostly through thoughts and through igniting other people and igniting us, our passions, and things like that. But thoughts are very uh, tricky. He's very tricky with the thoughts. And see what he says? He says, well, you know, you got married... But it wouldn't have been better if you went to a monastery and lived the heavenly spiritual delights far from family concerns which distract you and pull you down. Then again to my spiritual children who went to a monastery because they longed for virginity in Christ. He whispers to them how much better would you be if you had gotten married and made a home church and lived the family happiness far from ascetic hardships and loneliness which depresses you. So, whether you become a monastic or whether you become a a married person, you're going to have... the We all have the same temptations that we're never happy where we are. And when the temptations come, we go, oh, this is too much, this is too much. So if you're a monastic, you go, oh, maybe I should have got married. Or if you're a married person, maybe I should have become a monastic. If the married person became a monastic and the monastic married, he would be telling them the opposite, what I just said. And all this to throw them into despair to take them off the road to salvation because blessed marriage and virginity in Christ are both a road to salvation. One can be saved as a married person and one can be saved as a monastic. From another book, from Christ is in Our Midst, which is... um, Letters from an, um, uh, a uh, monk, uh, a Russian monk. Elder John writes to a woman who wants to become a monastic because of the troubles in her marriage. So her husband had a serious drinking problem. In his letter, he advises her not to fall into depression, hopelessness, and, and, how to, and he explains to her how to deal with her husband's problem and bring to her attention Christ's words, in the world you will have tribulation. So, this woman was having problems with her husband, and the devil came up to her and said, See, you're having all these troubles with him. You know, you should become a monastic. Leave your husband and go become a monastic. And, Saint, and, and, and Elder John tells her that wherever you are, you're going to have sufferings, you can't escape. So, this is his letter. I advise you not to contemplate monastic life. The Lord will lead you to eternal life through married life in the world. Learn to live for Christ in your family life. The Lord sees your good intention and will save you in your family life. Have no doubt of this. Saint Mac- then he quotes Saint Macarius the Great gives the example of two women who were pleasing to God and reached perfection in the spiritual life, and were even higher than the hermits that were living in the desert. They wanted to spend their lives in monasteries, but for some reason they had husbands. So obviously they, which happened a lot of times, people want to become monastic, circumstances occur, and they don't get to do that, and they get married. The Lord seen their will to serve God in a, monastery, in, a in a monastery help them to be saved while living a family life. At the present time, life in monasteries is not as you picture it. And with your inexperience of spiritual life, you might only be led astray by monastic life. So he's saying there that people in the world have a fantasy about how the monastic life is. So they go to the monasteries and they see monks and nuns, they look like angels, and it's beautiful singing and beautiful services, and they become inspired, and they say, oh, I wish I could do that as well. The problem occurs, if you're single, well, that's okay, maybe you can go. But if you're married, then, then, then that's a problem. And when I remember this bishop in Greece, he said to me that he had some young fellows who were interested in monastic life. And he said to me, they were pious, very, very pious. They were young men who were keeping themselves. Uh, They hadn't fallen. They were young men of prayer, fasting. And they were very good examples. But he said, but once you put the black on them, once they come into the monastery and become novices, they're not the same. They get, one can say, smashed. And he said, so some people can be very spiritual in pants, but not in the black. And same with women. Even I've known women who, for example, were leading spiritual lives, were keeping themselves pure and were praying and were confessing and communing but once they went and put on the black to become monastics, you thought you were dealing with a mentally disturbed person so be careful what we wish for but of course there are others who are leading spiritual lives in the world they go to the monastery and that's why they give them three years trial. Some monasteries even do four, five, six. They want to be sure. Of course, there's no trial in the married life, but we'll come to that soon. Number three, Elder Makaris of Optina said the following, a life lived in the world can be as good in the eyes of God as one spent in a monastery. It is indeed only the keeping of God's commandments, love of all and a true sense of humility that matter wherever we are. Now that's a wonderful thing. He's saying that life in the world can be as good as the monastic life. And we're going to hear more about that uh, where Elder Paisa talks about married people. And, and even today there's so many married people who, whose lives one can say are a great example. Elder Macarius says, what counts is that we keep God's commandments, we have love of all, and we have humility. That's what matters. Number four, St. John of the Ladder said that some people living carelessly in the world have asked me, quote, we have wives and are beset with worldly cares and worries, and how can we lead the ascetical life? How can we lead like a really uh, strict spiritual life? Obviously, they were saying that as an excuse. Like people say today, oh, how can you live the life of the gospel? How can we do what Christ says? It's impossible. You can't, lead a, you can't be a Christian in the world today. And St. John continues, I replied to them, I replied to them, do all the good you can. Do not speak evil of anyone, do not steal from anyone. Do not hate anyone. Do not be absent from, the, from divine services. Do not offend anyone. Do not wreck another man's domestic happiness. And be content with what your own wives can give you. If you, if you behave in this way, you will not be far from the kingdom of heaven. Again, practical things. Don't hate people. Go to church, don't offend, don't steal from the government, even taxes or other things like that. Social security, insurance, false claims, all these type of things, all these um, things is what we need to do. Do not speak evil of anyone. That's what St John of the Ladder, the gr- one of the greatest saints that we even commemorate on the fourth week of Lent, as we'll be doing soon, special day dedicated to a special, uh, some, one of the Sundays of Lent, and that was his advice. So what should we do? Ignore him and say, oh, what does he know? Only monastic life, one can be saved, or we can't really lead a spiritual life in the world. Number five, St John Chrysostom said in his homily on marriage, in one of his many homilies, he said, remove from your lives shameful, immodest and satanic music and don't associate with people who enjoy such Immoral entertainment. Pray together at home and go to church. When you come back home, let each ask the other the meaning of the reading and the prayers that were heard in church. If you are overtaken by poverty, remember Peter and Paul who were more honoured than kings or rich men, though they spent their lives in hunger and thirst. Remind one another that nothing in life is to be feared except offending God. If your marriage is like this, your perfection will rival the holiest of monks. Now we're not speaking about just it's not me or just someone that just comes along and speaks. This is St. John Chrysostom, and as I've said, when you hear St. John Chrysostom, we stand at attention in our souls. A great holy Father who wrote volumes and his sermons have made volumes this many books on life in the world. I like that. Remove from your lives shameful, immodest, and satanic music. Now some of you will say, I'm surprised. How can St. John Chrysostom say such words? Because today we're not allowed to do that. Priests aren't allowed to speak like that. Because people get offended. The fact that their children watch satanic sh- uh, movies and listen to satanic music—that that, doesn't—that doesn't seem to worry them as much. But they're worried if the priest says the word satanic music or satanic lifestyles. S- but that's not correct, is it? Because we su- we will be surprised of how the saints spoke. There was a bishop in Greece, Augustinus, who we have some, a lot of his books at the back. Who he spoke like that, very strong. And a lot of the other bishops in Greece would say, oh, he's no good, look at the way he speaks. And, and, um, and yet he helped so many people. He brought so many people to the faith. He helped a lot of people, even in Australia and Canada in uh, America because his cassettes were uh, distributed everywhere and, and his books. I think people have the wrong idea of really what a saint is today. They think a saint is someone who is a, a person who walks around always worried they're going to offend someone. Okay, looking there, looking there. Uh, did I say something to offend you? Sorry, this. That's not what uh, it, it's all about. Of course, the, the, the fathers of the church spoke at times strict, at times threatening, and other times soft, depending on what they're talking about. On the topic of friends and relatives, because he said to keep away from people who are not leading proper lives. Now, I found in a, in a Greek book the following, and I want to read it. It says there, with regard... This person who wrote, I don't know who it was, but it was just a, in an article in some Greek magazine. With regard to friends, we ought to be very careful in this topic also because friends play an important role in the life of each person. And either they benefit and edify us spiritually... Or they create many problems and harm us morally. So friends can be spiritually beneficial and friends can be a disaster. As for relatives, it is a great blessing and, and, it, and is pleasing to God for us to keep our relationship with relatives and to not show indifference and aversion to them. So long as they are not harming us morally as long as they're not harming us morally. Today, even that's not allowed. Today, a priest is not even allowed to say to be careful of who you hang around with because it's spiritually damaging. That's not allowed because nearly everyone is leading lives which is opposite to what God wants. I want, to, I want to say before I go on to number six, the following. The avoidance of friends and relatives who are not leading appropriate lives and could damage us is actually an ascetical struggle. See, people think asceticism means that we do so many prostrations that our knees have no skin on them. And that's asceticism and that's pleasing to God. I don't think that God's very pleased with that if it's done with pride. But the saints did it. But the saints did it with humility. When we do ascetical things a lot of times it just makes us feel proud. It doesn't mean that we don't do some but at the same time we don't have this emphasis on it. But God has given people in the world other things, other types of struggles and one of them is this. But today, parents know that some children, that their children are hanging around with people that are teaching them bad things. Today, because of the um, internet, children have access now to, uh, young children even have phones that are connected to the net. And they are seeing on those phones things that are the worst, that, that things that kids should never see. And parents, are uh, out of it, don't understand or don't even think what their children could be doing. And at the same time, they pray and fast and confess and commune. But they're not worried about what their children have seen. One image, one image that a child sees when they're young will stay with them forever. Number six, St. Anthony the Great once prayed, Lord, reveal to me how a faithful person in the city among the noise can reach the spiritual level of the ascetic who dwells in the deep desert. Among the noise means just the, the, the city life in the, in the world. All the responsibilities, all the stresses, and all the distractions in the world. Because how can that person, the person living like that, reach the high levels of what they can in the desert? He had not even finished his prayer to the all-good God when he heard a voice tell him, quote, the gospel is the same for all men, Anthony, and if you want to confirm how one who does the will of God is saved and sanctified wherever he is, go to Alexandria to the small cobbler's store, that's a shoe repairer, cobbler, which is simple, which is simple and poor, the store. He, it, is there, it is there below the last road of the city. And St. Anthony says, To the cobbler's store, Lord, and who there can help shine some light on my thought? Replied the puzzled saint. The cobbler will explain it all to you, replied the same voice. Then, then um, again St. Um, Anthony says, The cobbler... What does this man know about struggles and temptations? What does the poor worker know of the heights of faith and truth? He wondered. Early in the morning, St. Anthony left the desert and travelled to the city exactly as God had shown him. He found the small cobbler store and went in. With joy and piety, the simple cobbler welcomed him and asked him, In what way could I be of use to you, Ava? Like Yerunda, or that's how they say it in Egypt, Ava. Then the cobbler continued, I'm an illiterate and uncivilised villager, but for a stranger like yourself, whoever he is, I will try to help whatever the need. The Lord sent me to you to teach me, replied St. Anthony humbly. The poor worker jumped up in wonder, me, what could I, the illiterate one, teach your holiness? I don't know if I've done anything good or noteworthy in my life, something which could stand before, uh, could, could stand pure before the eyes of God. He was saying, the cobbler was saying, I don't, whatever I've done, I don't know if on the day of judgment whether it will be accepted by God because I don't know if it was done with a pure heart. See, we might help the poor, or we might do good deeds, but God looks at the heart. And that's why when I did that talk number 43, I think it was, examining the Pharisee within us, I said there that if you remember, Christ spoke about prayer, and then he, together with that, he talked about hypocrisy. Fasting, hypocrisy. alms giving, hypocrisy. So those main three things that a Christian should be doing he, all, he he warned people and said don't be like the Pharisees and hypocrites. So that's why this man the cobbler is saying how do I know if my deeds will stand pure in front of God? Tell me and that's why the saints had humility by the way that's you might say, but they spoke low of themselves. And some people think that they just used to speak like that, like the way we do it at times. I'm I'm a sinful person. I'm sinful, I'm this, I'm that. But you know, that's words. What but when the saints say it, they, they even and even though they had done so many great deeds, the reason why is because they always had that thing saying Were my deeds pure in front of God? Tell me what you do, how do you pass your day, replied St. Anthony. I have have never done anything good. I only struggle to keep the holy teachings of the gospel and further I try never to forget my shortcomings and my spiritual fruitlessness. What the cobbler just said, if we had that, We would be blessed. What did he say? I have, uh, have never done anything good. I only struggle to keep the holy teachings of the gospel, which is what, as Saint Seraphim said, Saint Seraphim of Sarov, that the aim of the Christian life is the acquisition of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes through how does one acquire the Holy Spirit? Through good deeds, in other words, through the commandments. By doing the commandments, we receive the grace of God. And he says here that I only struggle to keep the holy teachings of the gospel and further, I try to never forget my shortcomings and my spiritual fruitlessness. That sentence, or two sentences there, is the right spirit. Unfortunately, we fall into sins We confess, but then we even forget them. We forget that we forget. We don't remind ourselves, I did this, I did this. But instead, we judge others. But we should, while we're judging someone, say, oh, yeah, but then again, I've done that and that and that and that. And that helps us to keep us humble. Therefore, says the cobbler, as I work during the day, I think and say to myself, oh, wretched man. Everyone will be saved and only you will remain fruitless. Because of your sin, you will never be worthy to see God's holy face. Now that is, that sentence there, that, that part, is three words. It's the prayer of the publican. Lord, have mercy. That's what that means. That's what Lord, have mercy means. It means for, for, for us to say that we don't deserve to be saved that what we've done is not really good and that unless God gives, grants us his mercy we will not be saved. That is the right prayer that's an orthodox spirit. That's what Saint, the prophet David says a contrite and humble heart God will not despise. That's what God wants from us. Thank you, O Lord, the ascetic said, raising his weeping eyes towards heaven. And as the cobbler remained puzzled at what he saw St. Anthony just say and do, the ascetic embraced him with love and bid him farewell, saying, and thank you, holy man, he's he's calling the cobbler holy man, thank you, for you taught me how easy it is with only a humble mind for someone to live in the grace of paradise. Just with humility, one can be filled with the grace of God and be living, as Christ said, the kingdom of heaven is within us. Within us. So when we have humility, when we're constantly calling out, Lord, have mercy, then God's grace comes and dwells in our hearts. And that's what it means by the kingdom of heaven is within us. As the poor cobbler continued to stare uneasily, without at all understanding this, St. Anthony took his staff, like his rod, and departed for the deep desert. He travelled all day and prayerfully reflected on the lesson that he received that day from the poor cobbler. He said in his thoughts, humility, This, therefore, is the quickest path to the gate of paradise. Humility is the robe which God clothed Himself, which with and came to earth as man. You know, saying God was so humble that He took on Himself the flesh. He became a human and became poor and was treated horribly and crucified because of His humility. The saint tried to understand the greatness of this holy virtue, humility. Suddenly, he saw a countless number of demonic traps, terrible tricks and deceptions never before seen. So God allowed his spiritual eyes to be open, not his physical. He, he, he allowed his spiritual eyes, and oh, we don't understand how, it, it, how, it, how, it, um, how, how he saw it, but he saw whatever all these traps of what the devil sets for Christians, but traps that he had never even, that St. Anthony himself didn't even know anything about. My God, he exclaimed and turned the frightened eyes of his soul towards heaven. Who could ever flee, O Lord, from such traps and deceptions? St. Anthony understood that the traps were so many, that the devil was so tricky, that it would be, Impossible for someone to be able to uh, remain or not to fall into deception and lose their soul. Humility, Anthony, God said to him. Humility, Anthony, this alone can deliver one from all of these. He again heard the sweet beloved voice deep within his heart. And this was the response which filled him with light and gave him courage for the new battles which he experienced within the deep desert with the eternal enemy of man, the devil. So God answered him that, yes, only with humility. And the cobbler had that humility. And St. Anthony understood that, yes, ascetical struggles are important, but if if they don't lead us to humility, then they are satanic. Yes, people who do ascetical struggles with, and have an absence of humility or aren't trying to acquire humility, because that's their purpose, then those people are leading satanic lives. Because the devil is attracted to us when we're proud. And God is attracted to us when we're humble. So that example there, again, shows that even the great St Anthony learnt something from a, po- a man that was living in the world. And number seven, Elder Porphyrios said the following regarding marriage, I read it last time, you know, he said, happiness, joy within a marriage exists, but it has, but it has a precondition. The husband and wife will have to first acquire a spiritual fortune by loving Christ and keeping his commandments. Again, the same thing. A husband and wife have to struggle to love Christ, keep his commandments, and then there will be some spiritual joy. In, other, in, in, that, in that way, Elder Porphyrios continues, They will come to truly love each other and be happy. Otherwise, they will be poor in soul. They won't be able to give love and they will have demonic problems that will make them miserable. So, married couples, you want to have some spiritual joy, you want to have a successful marriage. Well, basically, that's from all what we just heard. All those fathers of the church all said the same thing. It is the keeping of the commandments. Now we come to... I just decided to to put this in quickly. uh, To show you that spiritual life in the world... Is very similar to spiritual life in a, in, in a monastery. Anyway, let's have a look. Someone asked him, how can a husband become practised in the virtues? And he answers, God will give him opportunities. Many men, however, after asking God to give them opportunities to practise the virtues, grumble when they are faced with a certain difficulty. So, he's saying, many men, they pray, And they say to God, help me to acquire virtue. Help me to be spiritual. And then God sends them some difficulty, some problem, to help them acquire virtue. And then then they complain. Isn't that like all of us? For example, sometimes the good God in his boundless love, and in order to provide practice in humility and patience, will take away the grace, his grace, From the wife. And she will begin acting outlandishly and treating the husband inconsiderately, like disrespectfully. So, that to me is... When I read that, I'm going to have to for sure put this in because it's such a... It's like when we heard last month that people with different personalities get on better than people with the same personalities. He says, if, if both... If you've got one person who's more of an angry person, you've got another person which is more of a meek person, then each one compliments. The meek person helps the other person. No, Don't be that angry. And then the person who's got a bit more oomph in his life will say to the person, don't be so dead. So, and both of them come together in a better way. They're more, more of a balance. Like he said, if two people are, like, lazy, and both of them are lazy, he said, they'll be so lazy they won't even close the window. Someone will come in and kill them if you remember all those things that we heard last, last talk. Um, if, a, if both people are strict on their children, those children aren't going to have very good lives. But when you've got one person that's really strict, other person that's less strict, then the two together get a better median or whatever the word is there. They kind of come in the middle and have a better... Uh, and, that, and he said that those children are brought up better. But when they're both slack... Or when they're both similar because they're slack or similar because they're strict, then those children have a lot of problems. So one, the husband might say to the wife, you're too strict. So then she comes down a bit, go, okay. Or the wife might say to the husband, you're too slack. And he goes, yeah, I can see that. And then he comes a little bit stricter. See, balance, like a seesaw. Then we go on here and now we're hearing something that's quite amazing. He's saying that when a husband or wife that doesn't really matter when a husband prays and says to god help me to acquire virtue god answers his prayer by taking away the grace his grace from the wife so that the wife becomes disrespectful rude at times and that is so that that man can start exercising He's, he's like, start to struggle spiritually, with patience, with love, with long-suffering, praying for his wife, etc. Then the husband should not complain, but rather rejoice and thank God for the opportunity that God gave him to struggle. Or a mother, for example, asks God to grant her patience. Her little child then comes in. And as soon as she has the table set for dinner, he pulls on the tablecloth and everything spills on the floor after she just prayed for patience. As such, and then St. Elder Baisal says, at such times, it's as if the child is saying to his mother, Mummy, be patient. <laughs> so that's what, not, not, not that the child's saying that, but he's trying to say that's what happens. And a lot of times we don't know that, that we are actually praying. Like someone said to me the other day, I'm praying for for to have more faith. Yes, and what's happening goes I've got a lot of unbelief now. After I prayed for faith, I said that's right because when you when you experience the unbelief, that makes you then understand what unbelief is and 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 see how horrible it is and that makes you pray more to God for that to be free of that. So People aren't really experienced in the spiritual... But that's basic in the monastic life. But why can't it be in the, in the, um, in the spiritual life in the world? Elder Pai, Number two. Elder Paisa said also, silence greatly helps in spiritual life. It is good for one to practise silence for about an hour a day, to test himself, to acknowledge his passions and to fight in order to cut them off and purify his heart. It is very good if there is a quiet room in the house which gives him or her the feeling of a monastic cell. So just like in a monastery, monks and nuns go to their cells for quiet time and they pray and think about their sins, read a little bit. That's the same as people, he says, in the world. They can do exactly the same thing, especially in the world, because there are so many distractions. There are so many responsibilities And these Facebooks and the internet and the television and the DVDs and the radios and things like that, in the car, the radio's on. Even if it's a spiritual talk, sometimes you just need time out. You can't hear things continually. Uh, Even chanting. Then we've got uh, the distractions of just every day. And emails and Facebook. And then there's a the Twitters, and there's this, and there's that. All these things create distraction. And that's what the devil wants, because he doesn't want people to go in themselves, because when we, go, when we enter ourselves, we find God. There in secret, he's able to do his spiritual maintenance to study and to pray. A little spiritual study done before prayer, like to read a book, before, even when, before you pray, to do, read a little bit of a spiritual book or the gospel, uh, this, the, helps greatly. The soul warms up and the mind is transported to the spiritual realm. That's why when a person has many distractions during the day, he should rejoice if he has ten minutes for prayer or even two minutes to read something so as to drive away distractions. Something. The best, of course, is a bit longer, but something. People go to sleep with headsets on them. People go to the toilet with a radio on. Now they've got showers. With, they've got new things with the radio, waterproof radio. So that when you're in the shower. So you never have any time to, 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 to look. And that's not good. We need time out. Yerunda. Is this perhaps too difficult for someone living in the world? No, he says. There are laymen who live very spiritually, even like ascetics, with their fasting, their services, their prayer ropes, their prostrations, even with children and grandchildren. On Sunday, they go to church, receive Holy Communion, then return home again to their cell. Like a monastic goes back to their keli, uh, as we say, like to their little uh, hut, if they, if they live out in the, um, in the desert or in the uh, skeets. Just like hermits who go to the Kiriakon um, on Sunday and afterwards keep silence in their cells, glory to God, there are many such souls in the world. See, in the, uh, the Skeets of Mount Athos, so you've got the centre church and you've got all these little houses all around. It's like a village. And there might be one, two, three, four monks living in each house. They've got their own churches in there too. But they pray. And then every feast day and Sunday... They got to go to the main church to pray together. So he's trying to say that in the world, people have their little house churches, which is what a family should be. They got their house church. And then they go out. They go to church. And then come back again to their house church. And he says there are many such souls in the world. Prayer has great power, Elder Paisos continues, within the family. I know two siblings who not only kept their parents who had a big problem between them from separating but even caused them to be more in love. So when children are brought up to learn, to pray then those same children later on can help parents in their, in their own problems. About his childhood, the Elder said, each morning and evening we would all pray together before the icons. This is what Elder Page said about his own childhood. Father, mother and to the children ending with a prostration before the icon of Christ. When a problem arose in the family we would pray and it would clear up. I remember once when our youngest brother got sick and my father said, come let's beg God to make him well or to take him so that he won't suffer anymore. We all prayed together and he recovered. Well, People might say, oh, that's Elder Paisos, that's why he's holy. Or that's Saint Nectarius, like we just heard the five talks, that he was brought up by his parents, especially his grandmother was taught. But why, why does it have to be just for them? But we're living in the world, or we're living in the 21st century, or it's, it's, it's impossible. These things are all demonic. Children today are taught arithmetic and they've got tutors and a lot of people send their kids to good schools including heretical schools and yet the children don't learn prayer. Why don't they learn prayer? Because the parents don't pray. Or they might do like a quick prayer. So when when you've got parents bringing up their children that do their cross like this, Don't know what they're doing. Maybe sending Morse code to their hearts. Um, Then you wonder why children today don't even believe in God. This the mother of Saint Basil the Great, which I forgot her name. And who knows, the mother of Saint Emilia, was it? Can't remember. Anyway, she produced. Four saints, Saint Basil, his sister Saint Macrina, his brother Saint Gregory of Nyssa and the other brother Saint Peter as well, I think. Four. Four saints. Holy parents produce holy children. Elder Porphyrios said that. You want your children to become spiritual, you have to become holy. You have to become spiritual not just send them to the Sunday schools and think that they're going to learn. They're going to go to the Sunday school and learn parables of Christ and then come home where the parents don't even lead a Christian life. So, when, we, when you read Lives of Saints, especially people living in the world, it would be great to especially focus on how those saints were brought up when they were, when they were young, read it, look at it, study it. That's why I did a whole talk, the first talk on St. Nectarius, talk 49, which was around four hours long, was of his youth, of when he was young. I did that on purpose. I wanted to emphasise how a saint is, uh, how a saint comes about. Is that the right word for it? Another one, number three. Elder Paisa was asked the following question. the why do temptations often occur on feast days, don't you know, on feast days, Christ, the mother of God and the saints are joyful. They treat people, give blessings and spiritual gifts. Knowing this, the devil creates temptations in order to deprive people of the divine gifts. They neither rejoice nor benefit from the from the feast. Sometimes you even see when a family is preparing to commune on a feast day, that the devil will send them a temptation to fight and then... Not only do they not commune, but they don't even go to church. That's how the little demon does it. So as to be deprived of all divine help. Then he goes on, said so that's the people in the world. And then he goes on, talks about the same thing in, in monasteries. That's what I'm trying to say. What's the difference? The same thing can be seen in our monastic life. Many times the little demon, tempted that he is, because he knows from experience that we will be spiritually helped on some feast, will beginning on the eve of the feast, the night before, create an atmosphere of temptation in the monastery. For example, he might get us to quarrel with another brother uh, and then afterwards torment us in order to overpower us both spiritually and bodily. In this way, he doesn't allow us to benefit from the feast with its joyous atmosphere of doxology. That's a common thing. People who go to church have temptations. Fights in the car, sleeping in, nerves, irritations, impatience there, quick, 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 we're late, this, that, fights, this, it's just, um, uh, and that's why. And then people come to church halfway through the service or even at the end. This is all Temptation. So when people say, oh, I wish I can lead a monastic life, I wish I can be like the monastics, well, you've got the opportunity in the world. The same thing. I wish I can go to... I uh, I. wish I could, If I was in the monastery, I would, go to, I would go to the services on time. But in the world, I've got too, much, too many problems, I've got too many distractions, so I can't get there on time. If I was a monastic, I'd be, I'd be better off. No, monastics have temptations in the, in the morning when it's time to wake up. Sometimes I've heard people, monastics, say I prefer death. Sometimes I feel like just dying because I just don't want to get up and go to church. Same thing, isn't it? Wherever there's spiritual benefit, the devil will fight, whether you're monastic or not. Number four. Archimandrite Amilianos of Simonopetra. He is, he was the abbot of, of the monastery of Simonopetra, the ones that produced those beautiful chantings uh, CDs. Uh, he retired, and there's another one there now. But he was uh, the spiritual the, the abbot there for many years. And he wrote, which we have, I think it's still there, a, a um, an article on marriage. And I've taken some parts of it because I want you to understand this which is a very important thing. I just took parts here and there. He says, what then is the purpose of marriage? I will tell you, you three of its main aims. First of all, marriage is the path of pain. Secondly, marriage is a, is a journey of love. And thirdly, marriage is a journey to heaven. So let's, let's remember that. Pain, love... And heaven. So when we have when when people have marriage problems in their marriage, we've got to remember yes, marriage is pain. Yes, marriage is love, and marriage is a journey to heaven. On the journey of pain, he writes the following The companionship of man and wife is called yoking together. That is, I I hope I hope I said that right. That is the two of them labour under a shared burden. Now, you know when you've got um, horses that plough? So there's two horses. They've got, those, they've got their arm um, and, the, and they um, drag the thing which digs up the, the ground. So they're yoked together. They are sharing the burden of dragging this thing through the ground so that the ground can become soft so the farmer can plant. So this is what marriage is. It is a shared burden. Marriage is a journey made together, a shared portion of pain and, of course, a joy. And then he said that the pain is much greater than the joy. He says the joy is, I think he said something about like chords, I don't know, some musical notes, I don't know what he meant. But anyway, he said six Six are pain and one is joy. So, but what do we have today? People believe that marriage is just joy. When you, when you enter a marriage believing that marriage is just joy, then you're going to be very disappointed and you're going to have a lot of problems. Man and wife will drink the same cup of upheaval, sadness and failure. During the marriage ceremony, the priest gives the newlyweds to drink the same cup, called the common cup, because together they will bear the burdens of marriage. This cup also is called, this cup is also called union, because they are joined together to share life's sorrows and joys, together. What he's trying to say is that marriage is a combination of joy and suffering. He continues on. When you see your marriage from a distance, like people might think about their marriage when they, before they get married. They might think, I'm going to get married, I'm going to wear the white dress, or this, or all these dreams and things. When you see your marriage from a distance, everything seems wonderful. But when you get closer, you will see just how many difficult moments it has. Marriage then is a journey through sorrows and joys, and more sorrows than joy. When two people get married, it's as if they're saying, together we will go forward hand in hand through good times and bad. Oh, my dear friends, the elder says, who can say that his life has not been marked by difficult moments. But it is no small thing to know that in your difficult moments, in your worries, in your temptations, in your sufferings, in other words, you will be holding in your hand the hand of your beloved. The New Testament says that every man will have pain, especially those who enter marriage. The, 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 The wreaths, or the wedding crowns, are all symbols of Christ's presence. More specifically, they are symbols of martyrdom. Husband and wife wear crowns to show that they are ready to become martyrs for Christ. Not hahas, not things there where it's just where everything, you think everything's like you're going to an amusement park and fun. Why are you getting married? Oh, to have fun better stay single and go to Luna Park. Don't get married. I add this now. The church warns all those who enter into marriage by offering them the example of the holy martyrs and inviting them to follow the, their examples by patiently and joyously bearing the cross of Christ in their family life. He didn't say that. I'm just making look a bit of a summary. Now, he, the elder ends by saying here, therefore... It is an adulteration, a distortion of marriage for us to think that it is a road to happiness. This is a denial of the cross of Christ because Christ said to carry your cross, that we have to carry our cross. What does a cross stand for? Well, we venerate every Wednesday and Friday the betrayal and the crucifixion of Christ and Good Friday, of Christ's suffering on the cross. And only after the suffering is their resurrection. People want joy and happiness and spirituality or whatever they people want, but by denying the cross of Christ. And he's saying that anyone who who, who says that marriage is just joy is denying the cross of Christ. It's blasphemy. Now, some people might think, who who are here or listen to the talk on the CD, might say, that's him. No, that's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is joy. Isn't that what the Protestants sing? We've got joy, 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 joy down in our hearts. Let's see what the Bible says. In Acts of the Apostles, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God that the, we can only enter the kingdom of God if we go through many tribulations, in other words, sufferings. In the, in the uh, gospel according to St. John, in the world, Christ says, you will have tribulation. Be of, a, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. St. Paul in his letter to the Colossians says, I now rejoice in my sufferings. St. Paul says he rejoices that he's suffering. V- very strange for us, Because living in this world, we've learned that we don't suffer, we shouldn't suffer. Suffering's no good. So that's why people drink, so they don't feel any pain within them. They are on illegal drugs or legal drugs, psychiatric medications, so they can feel better. Of course, there are some people that need that, we know that, we've said that before but there are also others who hide behind them because they don't want to feel pain. They don't want to feel the pain of their family, the pain of themselves, the pain of the world, anything. People are running away from pain continually. But yet, for Christians, that we have to know that to be saved, we have to experience pain. And then we go on. St Paul to the Romans says, and not only that... But we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. He's saying that their glory is to suffer. St. Paul's epistle to the Corinthians says, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, that's sicknesses, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses. I take pleasure, he says, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, Then I am strong. Proverbs in the Old Testament. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. Like a father punishes his son to correct him, yes, even physical sometimes, for his good, that's the same as God sends all the people, all the ones he loves, he sends them tribulations, sufferings, to correct them, to correct all of us. We all are in need of God's love and people are, have a wrong idea and think that God's love means that we have some bliss, some, some type of floating in the air, some type of, I don't know, some madness there. But that's, But God's love is expressed many times through the sufferings that he gives us. I remember a story in Greece when I was there, and um, there was a paralysed man. He was paralysed for many years. Completely paralysed. But he could speak, but he was paralysed. And he couldn't move his hands, couldn't move his legs. And some Christians went there to visit him and said to him, May God grant you health. And this man went, No. And they got shocked. No. My suffering has brought me closer to Christ. But if you are without chastening, without punishment, or not, I don't like the word punishment, if you are without penance, without God's given all these things that he gives us sicknesses and afflictions etc., of which all have become partakers you are illegitimate and not sons illegitimate meant when a, when a woman and a man had a child and they weren't married that was called an illegitimate child so in the Bible it's saying that those who do not suffer for Christ's sake are illegitimate meaning that they're not children of God as many as I love I rebuke and chasten so that's in the Revelations. Christ says, "So as many as I love, I rebuke." I mean God rebukes and chastens. And then Christ says, "Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who weep now." Mourn means what? Just it doesn't mean just um, for our sins. It means for our sufferings when we see others suffering when we, someone's died. There's so many ways that people mourn and weep. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. In other words, if we want to become disciples of Christ, if we want to be saved, he says we have to take up our cross. And the cross means suffering. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So what the elder said before, is correct that this life is a life of suffering and, and some joy. But marriage is, is, is difficult. And if someone does not understand that, they will not be able to stay. That's why people say, oh, I deserve better. Why should I suffer? I'm gonna leave my husband, I'm gonna leave my wife, I'm gonna leave my children because I don't want to suffer. I'm going to go and find someone who I'm going to be happy with. Is that worthy of being called satanic? What time is it? Is it time now? Okay. A few minutes and then we'll come back. Examples and teachings regarding marital problems. The Number one, we'll talk a little bit about quarrelling. And um, this is a nice example from a book on Elder Paisios from a person who wrote it. And he said, one of the last times my wife and I visited Elder Paisios, we had the following conversation with him. As soon as we entered the room, the Elder was lying on the bed because of illness. He started to tease us laughing and said, welcome, welcome, are you quarrelling? Are you quarrelling? Thanasi, are you quarrelling amongst yourselves? Well, Elder, yes, we are quarrelling, and then he laughed. The Elder, he used to do that. Even when I visited him, I remember when he says something to you, he, I think he'd, he 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 laughs. He'll kind of say it in a way which is joking. I think the reason for that was that when you tell someone something, they can get offended. So he would always kind of make a little bit of light of it so as to make the person not feel like he's being uh, uh, told off. So he was laughing and was saying, Why? Don't quarrel. Quarrel with everyone else, but amongst yourselves, don't quarrel. Do you hear me, Thanasi? i That's a Greek name. I give you the blessing to quarrel with whomever you want but with your wife, don't quarrel. Now, that might sound very strange. How can the saint be saying to this couple, you can quarrel with anyone else, but don't quarrel with yourselves? Why would a saint be saying to people, to someone to quarrel with other people when we shouldn't quarrel with anyone? So that's interesting, and that's what, well, that's what we're going to see in a minute. He turned to my wife... And to you, Anastasia, I give you a blessing. You know what a blessing means? Yes, I give a blessing to quarrel with whomever you wish. Amongst yourselves, don't quarrel. And he laughed again. We also laughed with these strange words of his. However, we realised very well that despite the fact the elder was laughing, he was speaking seriously. He considered it very bad for couples to have arguments among themselves. Such a great evil, in fact, that he gave us not only the permission but also his blessing to do a comparatively much lesser sin, evil, to quarrel with everyone else, so long as we avoid the great evil of quarrelling among spouses. So this is very great teaching a very great teaching he's saying that if you quarrel among yourselves it's a gigantic evil it's a very big sin if you quarrel with others it's still a sin but less of a sin and he was trying to make a point by saying I bless you to fight with others but not with with yourselves That goes back to the priest, what I was saying before. And I tell you, with my little experience with uh, married couples, that is true. That is the worst. Number two, again on quarrelling, but this time from the book, A Spiritual Arena, Marriage, A Spiritual Arena, which again, I I would suggest people to get by a Greek archimandrite from Greece, translated into English excellent book. I will use some things from his from his um, book. He said the following, our words can be severe, acting like swords that inflict wounds. So like a sword, when you use a sword on someone, it cuts and makes, a pers- uh, makes wounds. That's the same as words. And he actually even quotes, I mean, I wouldn't do it, but that's, he, he did it. He quotes Shakespeare, a famous English poet and player. There's nothing wrong with quoting it, but it's just that I usually try to stick to things. But anyway, he said, uh, Shakespeare's in one of, Shakespeare in one of his books, says, plays there, says, um, he said, your words are sharper than your sword. So words can be extremely sharp and can hurt more than someone stabbing us. Poverty with peace is better than wealth with conflict, says this archman right here, Vasilios. He says, poverty, better to be poor but be peaceful and united than to be rich and just be fighting continually. A poor couple that eats bread and olives every day and lives in peace is in a better state than a couple that is wealthy eats the finest foods but is constantly in disagreement. Then he quotes from Proverbs from the Old Testament which says, if two hearts become one, even a stable, where horses live in other words, seems like paradise. That's why I say to young young couples that are going to get married, don't have this deception. That you've got to have a mansion as soon as you get married don't put pressure by having some getting a big loan and having this big double story house with two cars and the, and the um, pool and things like that nice kitchens and granite ba- bench tops and whatever 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 that is stupid that puts a lot of pressure and when when two people go for a loan husband and wife go for a loan but then later on, the woman becomes pregnant and has a child. Now, some people, because they want their, this expensive lifestyle, will dump their child at the um, daycare. So, you know, I'm not going to be politically correct. So I'm not going to speak nice so people can um, feel better. Now, there are some people who work and they have to work. I understand. But everyone has to examine themselves. I'm speaking about the ones who just work because they don't want to take care of their children, because they love working, they love dressing up in the morning, and they dump their children into these daycares and things like that, which has already been shown with studies, that they're not healthy environments. But that's the thing. Anyway, so... And sometimes some women, their conscience bothers them and say, I don't want to work anymore. I want to take care of my child. But how are they going to take care of their child when the bank gave them a loan for five, six hundred thousand on two wages? So, better to live in something small, less stress, and concentrate more on your marriage than to live in some big mansion, which at the end the solicitors happily eat up in uh, solicitor's fees when you get divorced. The effect of, of quarrelling, the effect on children that quarrelling has, is horrible. And I've, I've dealt with people who are now older, who come out of families where their parents were quarrelling continually, and they have, they, they, those poor people are very much affected. A lot of them have very high anxiety, they're disturbed, and it'd be very difficult for them to probably get married they need a lot of help and this is because it's it's the most horrible thing for children to witness parents fighting and what's even worse is when they never ask forgiveness from each other of each other so they fight and the children never see them even asking forgiveness now does that mean that even Christians that are trying to struggle. And of course, there's going to be quarrels. As Elder Paiso just said a few minutes ago, there's going to be temptation. The devil will fight, even those who lead in spiritual lives and who don't want to quarrel. But if that does happen, then let your children see that you're asking forgiveness of each other. Let the children see that it was a temptation. Let the children see and say to the children, we were tempted, you know, um, we shouldn't have done that. And then let the children see with their eyes that you are asking forgiveness of each other. Now, a a woman who's a teacher actually said to me that a teacher at her school said that she was brought up in a family where where the parents never fought in front of the children. For some reason, there was no fighting. Then she said that when she got married... And she had arguments with her husband. She didn't know how to handle it because she had never seen her parents at all arguing. Now, you might say, does that mean we should argue on purpose? No, I think that uh, sometimes people don't argue at all because they have some type of uh, problem. They don't express themselves at all. I think in general, if we know, that even holy people have arguments. As I said once, I was in a monastery. I was at a monastery, in Athos, and I was somewhere there um, helping there as a nov- uh, no, sorry, as a as a lay person. And when you when you're there, they help they tell you to do some work. So I think I was I don't know what I was doing, peeling potatoes, I don't know what it was. And then, as I said, this priest, this priest monk, stormed in, and he was shouting at the top of his voice with a monk and then the monk was shouting back at him and it was like World War III. It was like this shouting and screaming and they didn't even care that there was lay people there. They just lost themselves. And this priest was a very spiritual priest. He served every day. He was the main priest of the morning. He served every day. So what does that mean? Temptations. Now, I might have seen them fight but then later on, I don't know how many, how much, how many tears they shed and they ask forgiveness from each other. So with married couples, it's the same thing. There's gonna be arguments, but the children have to see that it is struggles and forgiveness and things like that. Nagin, this comes from the life of other The wife of a doctor who had a disability was in despair. So this, the woman had a husband that was a doctor, medical doctor, but he had some physical disability, I don't know what it was, and this man was depressed about it. Her husband had acquired some very bad habits. After finishing work at the hospital, he went to the cafe, the famous Greek kafenil, and came home after midnight. There's even those those cafes here as well in in Australia. Wherever there's Greeks, there's kafenil. I think the Serbs have got them too. Wretched places. And I remember when I used to go to church as a layperson, driving through, my, through the main shopping centre there to go to church, say, leave my house at seven o'clock in the morning, and then you see them all, the old men coming out from the café near of, of, after being there all night. So this man was a café man as well. Yeah, and This left her and the children alone for most of the day and they hardly ever saw him. She protested, she she complained to him, she spoke to him harshly and he reacted by returning home even later. She had reached a deadlock she heard about Elder Porphyrius and hurried to meet him. When the lady arrived, she saw a crowd of people waiting outside. She found out that the sick elder had stopped meeting people for the day because he was very tired and was sad. And she was sad because of that. Not knowing what to do, she asked a friend of mine who was with her, what should she do? My friend advised her to simply ask with faith for the elder's blessing, given that... Given that just his blessing had worked miracles. So because she couldn't speak to the elder, like when I went, I remember when I went, in, uh, I forgot when it was, I think before he passed away, I was a layperson then, and I went with a group of people there, and he, they just, um, uh, he was so old, so sick, and they just kind of lifted him up, and uh, they he held a cross, which he had like a white glove, and I think because uh, he had all these skin problems, he had a lot of sicknesses. So he held the cross, very weak, and people just went up and just kissed the cross. And sometimes he might have whispered, God bless or something, but most of the time he didn't even do that. That's how sick he was. But people had the faith that if they just go and get that blessing, things would work out. So this woman... Um, that's what this woman was told. The lady approached anxiously towards the elder. She did not manage to reach the step leading to the elder, so when she heard his voice, you can come in. The elder sensed the lady's anxiety. He felt that this woman had problems, and he would do that. He would sometimes choose certain people. Couldn't talk to all of them. Sometimes he couldn't talk at all. In this case he was able to say to her, you, you, you come in. Like the opt elders, same type of thing. Despite his own exhaustion, he decided that it was necessary to help her storm-tossed family. He received her as a spiritual exception. When the lady left the elder's cell, her face shone with joy. She revealed the following to us. And she said, the elder revealed everything to me. I see that your husband is good, he said, but he's got a complex, a psychological complex, because of his disability. This is why he stays out late in order to forget about it. Because you nag him continually, he doesn't want to come home and comes back late. The more you nag him, the later he returns. Now you'll do the opposite. The later he returns, the more you'll pray for him, the more you'll love him and you'll take care of him. In this way, he gradually change, he, he, he'll gradually change, and he will become more and more drawn to his home, to his wife and to his children. Then your problems will be solved. As if she had just woken up from a bad dream, the lady said to herself, "How silly I was for so long. I was going to destroy my family with my nagging, and I didn't even realize it. She followed the elder's instructions faithfully and in a very short while, won her husband back. Then Archimandrite, Vasilios, in the, in, the, in the book Marriage of Spiritual Arena, published by Orthodox Book Centre in Athens there, he said the following. Imagine having a spouse who is a nagger. Such a person becomes unbearable and repulsive. It is known that women are inclined to talk more than men and are perhaps more inclined to nagging. Not only so, their voice can be so piercing that it can go right through the bones. It definitely hurts the husband if his wife constantly nags and murmurs. And he said, a team of social scientists, like those who study society and human behaviour, etc., did some research on problems that occur in marriage, in, in, in marriages. And they concluded that nagging is the worst enemy of marriage. It causes the majority of divorces, as well as suicides and even murders. I mentioned in a previous talk that I heard a a study in America where they said that 80% of divorces are due to Facebook. But they're saying here, this book was written some years ago, that the majority of divorces are due to nagging. So what's, what's, what's the problem there? Well, I think when this person wrote the book, um, that it wasn't Facebook. Today, people don't really nag much or quarrel much a lot of times because they're too busy on the internet. So there's no, they, they just lead their own lives. Husband's in one room, wife's in another room, on the, on the computer. And, of course, they're still nagging. But in, but in general, people have become so disturbed, so cut off, from their families that they do not really even talk to each other anymore. And that's why I think there's this thing where he's saying that the scientists were saying that um, nagging is one of the worst, well one of the main causes of divorce, while this study is showing that Facebook is because Facebook is where people meet people and they fall into adultery and then there's a lot of divorces and things like that. There's even websites of cheating and... Anyway, it's a whole mess out there now. So that's what... um, That's what there's... So I think that there's less nagging perhaps today because people don't communicate much anymore. Not that it doesn't exist, but if you're a nagger... um, I know I nag at times, so if you're a nagger, it's it's not good. St Gregory the theologian in his letter to Olympias wrote the following. He was writing to this woman... Um, And he said to her, your husband will always be your enemy if your tongue is out of control, even if you possess many virtues. In other words, St. Gregory the theologian, only one of three saints to be called theologian. The other one's John the theologian. And who's the other one? Simeon the new theologian. St. Gregory said to this woman that... Even if you possess all the virtues, if you fast and pray and go to church, but you nag, then uh, your husband is never going to really want you. He'll, be, he'll always be your enemy. So Archerman driver continues on and says, A home, then, is turned from a calm harbour into a stormy sea that drives the husband away. This is true of women who can't control their tongues. They drive their husbands away. Such a husband would rather live alone in isolation than live with his grumbling and argumentative and antagonistic wife. Now, some of you might say, oh, this is all against women. Well, there's we're talking about nagging now. How many men do you know that nag? So don't be upset and think, oh, I'm against women. We're talking about nagging. That's the topic. So... When I was young, there was a, uh, my mother had some relative, I don't know what she was, maybe a cousin, and um, uh, she had a son. And the story goes as following she nagged, nagged, nagged him, nagged him, nagged him, the son. I think the son was a little bit, uh, had a bit of a, he wasn't mentally not well. And she nagged him, nagged him, nagged him and then she went to the corner shop and she said to the, near her house, and she said to the uh, shopkeeper that my son just killed me and she fell down. She had a knife in her. The son stabbed her. A small child asked his father, Dad, are you afraid of crocodiles? The father said, no. The child then said, are you afraid of tigers? And the, ch- and the father said, no. The child then asked him, how about lions? The father said, no. The child then said, then the only thing you're afraid of is mum. <laughs> That's horrible as well, for a, for a, uh, especially for, um, for a male child to see the father scared of his, his wife. And for, a, for the daughter to see that because um, that's why the fathers of the church say, if you want to know the woman you're going to marry, check out the mother. And if you want to know the man that you're going to marry, check out the father. As the father is, that's how the son will be. And as the mother is, that's how the girl will be. So if the woman, if, the, if, if a girl saw her, his, her mother um, stepping on the father's neck every day, then, if you want to marry someone like that, you will know that you better get a good supply of neck braces because she'll break your neck. Number three, a wife should never nag her husband. St John Chrysostom. Now, we've already heard the first one was uh, on um, nagging was Elder Porfirios. Then we heard from Archimandrite Vasilios there on the, from the book. Now, let's see what St John Chrysostom says. A wife should never nag her husband. You should, like like saying things like, you lazy coward, you have no ambition, look at our relatives and neighbours, they have plenty of money, their wives have far more than I do, let no wife say any such thing. So St John Chrysostom was negative, with that type of passion. That's an ascetical feat. So, for example, if a woman does suffer from nagging, then that should be where her aim should be. That should be her asceticism. Not drinking water after 3 o'clock on Fridays and Wednesdays. Not doing a thousand prostrations every night and going to church all the time and ignoring the family big prayers, and yet not understanding that Nagin's bad. I was dealing with a woman once who, her husband was a tradesman, like a plumber, I think he was, and she, uh, even though he was a plumber, there was things around the house like leaking pipes or things like that, that he wouldn't even do. He just would work, 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 work. And when she would nag him and say, look, you don't even do that, you're a plumber, and you don't even fix up the stuff in our house, he would say, I haven't got time, I haven't got time, I work, I work, I work. And she would nag and nag and nag, and then she said to me, um, there was a gas leak in the children's room and he didn't even fix that. So there was gas leaking into the children's room and he couldn't even do that. So there was something, obviously, there was something wrong with him. 100%. However, I said to this woman, look, um, and then she goes, and he didn't clean this and there's all rubbish in the um, outside in the in the backyard and he's got all his rubbish there and then she'll be swearing while she's telling me all these things and he's got all his rubbish out the front there and he's got this, he's got that and he's he's nag, 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 nag and I said to her, look, I could be on the phone with you for three hours and you can go through the whole list of what he does and then what? Why don't you just get another plumber, ring up another plumber and get them to fix the gas leak. But why should I do that if he's a plumber? Because the gas is leaking into the children. But he should do it. But he's not gonna do it. But he should do it. But he's not gonna do it. So therefore, you yeah, no, but no. She nagged and nagged and nagged and nagged and he worked seven days a week. He would leave in the morning before she got up and would come back in the night after she went to bed. Seven days a week. Now, I'm not saying that, that his behaviour is right. And she said, oh, look, there's a PowerPoint there and it's, and it's hanging in the kitchen. It's been like that for four years. I said, so, you know, in the old days we used to dial the phone. It was a little bit more work. Now you just go like that. Dun, 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 dun. It's all touch tone. You ring up an electrician and you do it. You've got money in the bank. Yeah, we've got money in the bank. Why don't you... That's his job. That's his job. Anyway, their daughter rang me up a few, uh, about a month ago. Interesting, but this has been going on for years. The daughter's now twenty-one or something, and she was talking and saying some things. And then, but every time she spoke about the parents and about and um, uh, she added more out for the mother than what she had for the father. Because oh, I know my father's got some things. But just the fighting and the fighting and the fighting. Why don't they just divorce and get it over and done with? I can't... She was crying. Any other topic, she wouldn't cry. But that topic, every time it came on to the parents' fighting, she would cry. She was tortured all her life. And I said to this woman, your children will be leaving the house soon, to, you know, to go on their way or to get married or whatever, and they would never have lived in... Because I renovated the house they would never have lived in a proper house. Do you have, leave? She goes, yes. I go, well, take, leave off work, take a couple of months off. You do it. And then you'll see he'll come back and he'll start doing it because he'll be embarrassed. Did she do it? No. So nag, 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 nag continually. Destroy the children, destroy the marriage. There was a man that used to nag... His wife... Oh, here's here's an example of a man. He used to nag his wife because the wife wouldn't take care of the children. So it would be, you know, you don't take care of the children and you're this and you're lazy like your mother, this and that, whatever, 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 going on and on and on and on. And I said to him, look, she's not going to budge. That's it. She's set in her ways at this time of her life. So what you do is you take care of the children. And he listened. Not like the other one that didn't listen. He listened. So... I said, you, you, you take care of the children, you do everything with the children and you'll see what will happen. So anyway, so the woman was sitting on the couch, knitting away, like an old woman, even though she was young. She was knitting away and the husband was doing everything, cooking, cleaning the children, everything. So in the, when she was in the lounge room, the end of the lounge room had this big glass window she could see into the backyard. And she saw her husband there with the children, and they were playing and they were jumping on him, and they were laughing and this and that. And all of a sudden, as the husband was outside, he hears this, this um, shriek, like this, "Oh, like that. So he runs in and sees the knitting on the ground. What's wrong? And she said, and he, she said, "I'm not a good mother. I've lost my children." And then she started to try and think, see, stop the nagging, you do the job. And that's what St. John Christum says, if you see that your husband or your wife are not doing their duties, then you continue on. Elder Macarius of Optina wrote the following, the most important, he writes to someone, the most important thing in your letter is one that you never stress, one of which you ask no guidance one of which you never formulate clearly, but which comes out in every line, that is the growing hostility between you and your wife. Elder Macarius is writing back and says that the one thing that I can see from your letter is that you basically hate each other, but you, you don't even talk about that. I see little hope of this poison being cast out of your home unless you promptly cease condemning each other. I love the word poison. He goes, there's no hope in this poison being cast out of your home unless you stop this putting down of each other. You clearly think you're always in the right. She, of course, thinks she's always right. You heap on her a multitude of grave, um, petty accusations, like little things, I didn't do this, I didn't do that. She does the same to you. Where will this end? Your main accusation against her are her sensitivity, like she's irritable or whatever, her self-love, pride, and a ridiculously exaggerated opinion of herself. But surely, if these were not your own most obvious defects, which they quite obviously are, you would not be so greatly irritated by seeing them in her. In other words, he's trying to say, when, we, when we're irritated, when we don't like something in someone else, but it's with an irritation, that means that that same thing is in us. Beware of your own failings, said Elder Macarras to this man, all this financial trouble between you, has occurred uh, between you, has occurred because you have completely forgotten that you have a Christian home, or should have. A home is a Christian home when, when all the members of the household bear each other's burdens, and when each one condemns only himself, you have forgotten this, both of you, and so every word of hers pieces you like an arrow dipped in poison. And your words likewise pierce her. Ponder the truth of Christian marriage. Man and wife are one flesh. Does it not follow that they must share all their possessions? And you two are arguing over some property, some property. And she wrote to him, sorry, he wrote to the elder about this dispute that he was having with his wife about some property. And why? Because of words. Unless you promptly strive for and achieve a loving peace between you, it's hopeless to try to bring order and fairness into your business, dealings with one another. Humble yourself, not her. Love her, not yourself. Let's do do that last part. Humble yourself. Don't try and humble her by putting her down. You humble yourself, he's saying to the man. And love her, not yourself. That's a good one, isn't it? For us to humble ourselves in our dealings with other people, not just with married, married couples, and to love others more than ourselves, which is what Christ said. Elder Paisios now, on the same type of thing, about couples that had bad thoughts. One day, the head of a family came to Elder Paisios. He grasped the elder's hands and said that his wife was so-and-so was treating him thus and thus, and generally said all the bad things which his dark thoughts had whispered in his ear, putting down his wife. The elder then began to speak well of the wife and finally told the husband that he should glorify God for giving him such a wife that it was he, the head of the family, who was the cause for love, having departed from them. Over and over again, the elder brought him back to this love, convincing him that it was he, the husband, who was at fault, and urging him to reject his shameful thoughts against his wife. The older did the very same thing when the wife came to see him. He reprimanded her and rebuked her as well. Now, you might say, well, how can they both be at fault? Well, he had his faults in his area and she had her faults in her area. So he corrected her, him, for the particular problems that he had and corrected her for her particular problems. Therefore, both partners haven't corrected their bad thoughts which were directed against each other, returned to their love. And, of course, they understood the action of the elder, even though he had reprimanded them both, because his aim was to revive their love. I would have to say that um, I wish I could do that with people, the couples that are fighting. It's just um, you try to say, okay, you're doing that wrong, they're doing that wrong, and at the end they just hate each other more. So, might be my, might be the way I, I, I approach it, or maybe some people, something's wrong, which I'm going to come to in a minute uh, to explain that. Correcting one's thoughts, at least for people that have got a good disposition, those who want to change, those who are looking for salvation, sometimes we can have wrong thoughts, and when they're corrected, then the problem goes. Just wrong ideas. Like you might, the woman might say, oh, I've noticed that he's very irritable when he comes home. And you, then you say, well, you know, it could be because he's having a lot of stress at work and it's very difficult. He goes, oh, yeah, he is. Well, doesn't that help? Not because he's rejecting you. He's got a lot of stress. And he goes, oh, I didn't think of that. And that can correct the thought and pre- prevent a lot of friction. Uh, that's what these psychologists do, which is those cognitive behavioural therapy, where the people speak to each other and uh, And um, their only problem is that some some of them wouldn't know what's good thoughts and what's bad thoughts, so what are they correcting? What comes out of their own putrid minds? some of them. Some of them are Christians, some of them could be uh, able to help someone. But in general, it's good to find a priest who has some experience and speak to them and listen to the priest's advice. Okay, the next section. Elder Bayou said the following regarding fault finding. He says, in life, including family life, people can be roughly divided into two categories. One category of people are similar to a fly. The fly has the following distinguishing characteristic. It always sits down on filth, passing over fragrant flowers. Flies don't go and sit on beautiful flowers. They go and sit on dead things and you know what else. Thus, the people who are like a fly have learned to think and look only for that which is bad, neither knowing nor ever looking for good. So there are people who just continually are looking at the bad in everyone. That's a sickness. Now, we all do that, but it depends on how much we do it and whether we're aware that we do it and whether we repent that we are doing it. The other category of people is similar to a bee. The distinction characteristic of a bee is that it finds its beautiful sweet things and sits down on them, disregarding all that is filthy. Such people have good thoughts, see the good in others and think only of good. To all who had become used to blaming others, including married couples, the elder offered them to choose in which category they would like to find themselves and then determine accordingly which group these people would, whom they blamed belonged to. So he would say, which category would you like to be? We should ask ourselves, are we like the fly that sits on filth and just always looks at people's faults, or are we like the bee that goes and sits and looks at good things? Archimandrite Vasilios in his book, says you were married. As a good husband, you were concerned about your wife, what your wife wears, drinks, eats, etc., this is good and necessary to be concerned about your wife and also vice versa, the, the wife to be concerned for the husband. However, you overlook something that is of extreme importance. You don't care about your spouse's soul. You don't care about how your spouse is progressing spiritually or about her salvation. Now, this is very important. And that's why a lot of problems occur in marriages, Because the spouses don't care about the salvation of the other. When that happens, things will really go wrong. And look what St John Christum says. Which woman took care to see that her husband progressed? Which husband did the same for his wife? Men and women do not care about this. In other words, they don't care about the spiritual progress of their spouse. Women focus all of their attention on their jewellery and gowns while men focus on these also and much more. All of these things are useless, says St. John Chrysostom. What's the most important is for one spouse to care about the salvation of the other spouse. In another homily, St. John Chrysostom says, if we have responsibility for our neighbour's salvation, if we as Christians should care about our neighbors, our friends, our other people, about their salvation. How much more do we have responsibility for the salvation of people who are nearest us, who are, who are nearest us, especially one's spouse, one's children. And yet there are people who don't even think about the salvation of their children or their spouse? That's not good. And then uh, archman driverius goes on and says, "Think it, think." Think, he said, think of the following. If in the afterlife you see your spouse going to hell due to your indifference, will you not be ashamed? How would you feel if your spouse complains and asks you, why didn't you care about my soul all these years that we lived together? That's very powerful. Why didn't you care about my soul all these years? In other words, each spouse will give word for each other on the last day. God will ask, did you take care of your spouse's soul? Did you do whatever is necessary to help your spouse to be saved? We're talking about marriage now. St. Paul, in his epistle to Timothy, writes the following, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith, and is worse than an unbeliever. So, what does he mean by that? Now, some people have read this and said to me, "Okay, so if someone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his own—oh, that's right—if a person does not take care of those that in their in, in his house, say, eh, doesn't give them food and clothing, etc., they should be classified as someone." who has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, St John Chrysostom does not agree with that. He says, what does Paul mean by provide? What does St Paul mean when he says, someone who does not provide for his own household? And St John Chrysostom says, does he mean food? I think he means caring about the soul. If you disagree, you further strengthen my argument... Because if he considers someone who does not provide food an unbeliever, then what is in store for him who overlooks what is more important and above all most necessary, the salvation of the soul? So St. John Christum says, it, when, when, when St. Paul says he's worse than an unbeliever if he doesn't provide for his own, he's not talking about food, he's talking about they he doesn't take care of the soul of his family, the souls. But, St. John Christum says, if you don't agree with me, and you think it means that he's not taking care of his family by giving them food, he said here, um, then what's in store for him who overlooks what is important and above all, the salvation of the soul? So if someone who doesn't take care of his family, doesn't give food, is worse than an unbeliever, which is if that's what you think, then what do you call someone who doesn't take care of the souls of his family? So really this means really... It means someone who doesn't take care of the souls of that. But why are they worse than an unbeliever? Well, if a man is indifferent towards the salvation of his wife, he is worse than a pagan, those who worship idols as gods. If a woman is indifferent towards the salvation of her husband, she falls into this category. In other words, she's also worse than a pagan. Why are they... Um, this is my own now. Why are they worse than a pagan... Because most pagans took very good care of their children, clothed them, fed them, educated them, and taught them virtues such as truth, honesty, self sacrifice. If you remember the talk of St. Nectarius, we spoke about uh, why St. Nectarius used the writings of the ancient Greek philosophers, because in those writings there was a lot of good things, but God enlightened the philosophers, certain parts of their teachings were actually Christian. So a lot of the pagans, just like today, there are people today, in, 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 like I say, in Australian society, who don't go to church, who don't believe, but they'll take care of their children with food, with clothing, with, um, with what they need, with education, punish them when necessary. In their own little way, that's how they do it. So... But they won't take care of their souls because they don't believe in souls, a lot of them. They don't think about the salvation of their souls. So when you have an Orthodox Christian who doesn't care about the souls of his or her family, then they are worse than pagans. And, I, and, I, and I've seen Orthodox Christians who... Unfortunately, don't even feed their family properly and don't even take care of their family, even in the way of education or in, 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 in much at all. Even in, in punishments where, where they're correcting their children, which we heard in Talk 45 on the commandments that one of the, the Holy Fathers was saying that God will ask a word from, from parents if they didn't um, chastise their children to correct them when necessary. So previously we heard that uh, true love is when someone cares for the soul of others. Now I've quoted many times to you St. Maximus the Confessor and all the saints basically but St. Maximus says that true love is when we are concerned for the soul of someone else. So if someone says, I love my child, but they don't care about the salvation of the soul of that child, then that love is not true. That's like fleshly uh, love. But I love my child because I make him learn musical instruments or I send him to really good schools. But that's what you're supposed to do. But That's not the definition of true love. That's only part of it because even pagans do that. What is the uh, um, most important is to take care of the soul, to care about the soul of those around you. One way of caring for the soul of one's spouse is to give advice to them. So St. Tikhon of Zadonsk, he wrote in the book there, when the husband sees any fault in his wife he must nudge her meekly and the wife must submit to her husband in this likewise when a wife sees some fault in her husband she must strongly encourage him and he is obliged to hear her in this manner their love will be faithful and unbroken and thereby having composed their happiness together they shall take pleasure in the virtue in the virtue yeah. so Unfortunately, because a lot of us were brought up in families where this was not seen, a lot of people were brought up seen, as I said before, the mother speaking roughly to the husband and the husband being horrible to the uh, to the mother, to the wife there, and the children weren't brought up in an atmosphere of this Christian correcting someone in a Christian way. And when those same children get married, they do the same. They will speak roughly or horribly to their spouse. Now, if anyone does that, they now know that what is the proper way. Now, let's let's see what St. John Christopher says. Whenever you give your wife advice, always begin by telling her how much you love her. Just that line. Just that line from a, from a, a saint, remember, he, a monk, he's never been married. Don't be fooled and think that, oh, what do the monks know and what can they advise? You know, in Greece, for example, and in Russia and Serbia, the best spiritual fathers, the ones that people would go for advice were monks, priest monks. Anyway, the thing is, this is St John Chrysostom. And this is like uh, someone that goes to Relationships Australia or some of these or some counsellor or someone's going to help people with married, married couples. Why go to them when you can just read St John Chrysostom? Look at that, what, what a beautiful advice, just that one thing. When you're about to give advice, always begin by telling her how much you love her. Soften her instead of going up straight away and saying, you know what, I've noticed you're this, 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 this. That just doesn't work. Nothing will persuade her so well to admit the wisdom of your words as her assurance that you are speaking to her with sincere affection. Tell her that you are convinced that money is not important, that only only thieves thirst for it, Constantly, that, you're lo- that you love her more than gold, and indeed, an intelligent, modest, and pious young woman is worth more than all the money in the world. Show her that you value her company, and prefer being at home to than, than to be out. That you prefer being at home with her. Esteem her in the presence of your friends and children. Treat her nicely. Speak nicely to her, about her. This was, re- this was said 1,400 years ago. Then we've got the feminists coming along and saying, the church represses, represses. The church is against women. The church venerates the mother of God, who's a woman. Unfortunately, the feminists, some things, they did good. But most of what they did destroyed society. We will remember from the last talk that Elder Paisius mentioned the following regarding differences in personalities and personality quirks. He said, remember, he says, what I'm trying to say is that everything is needful. Naturally, once personality quirks, Means Quirks means peculiarities in one's character, like little things that are faults. They shouldn't go beyond their limits. Each spouse should help the other in his own way. He's saying there, of course, there's differences in character and there are faults in each other's character. And these faults, these little peculiarities, these things, shouldn't be... Overdone, like something which is really bad. But the question now, ha- this is what I'm going to ask now, what happens when someone's character has very serious problems? That is, not having just some little personality quirks, but really serious problems. Now, I'm going to go through some, uh, some um, how to deal with one—one uh, one-one spouses of bad character. Number one, someone had made a, ra- a rushed and completely emotional choice for a wife he had serious marital and family problems that he discussed with Elder Porfirios. On one occasion, he said to him, the elder said to the man, anyway, you've made the great mistake. This cannot be fixed. Now we'll see how we can confront the consequences of the mistake with greatest success. In other words, he's saying, you're stuffed up, you married her, and basically it's a mistake, and uh, nothing can be done. You've got to stay where you are, and let's see how we can uh, salvage the situation, how there can be success even out of something that was wrong. The older was a realist. He did not play down the visitor's mistaken choice, but he also did not let him become hopeless, despondent. When he became consciously aware... That his mistake was irreversible. That's when the elder knew that, 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 that there's nothing could be done. He guided him to make an effort to deal with the negative effects of his mistake. His effort proved to be successful and acceptable to God. Now, I had an example many, many years ago of a person who he married someone and um, against the advice of everyone and uh, basically uh, even though his wife was there to get... But like the other example I said before, she never took care of the children. And I said to him, ''Well, that's it. That's your cross.'' But he goes, ''But she doesn't do anything. That's your cross. You made the mistake. You were told not to do it.'' I tried to tell him and tell him and tell him, and I just knew it was going to be a disaster. I'm telling you, don't do it. Don't go ahead with it. And he didn't listen, and he married... But the thing is, at the end, I said to him, well, okay, you've got it, had one child, and uh, I said, from your mistake, you'll be saved. So your mistake, and now that you've got to take care of this child yourself, and take care of your wife that basically doesn't do anything there at the house, then that's your penance. And from this penance, you'll become spiritual. And that's what happened. So that's what Elder Porphyrios is trying to say. Number two, Saint Tikhon of Zadonsk wrote also the following, when either the husband is of good character and the wife is of bad character, or the wife is of good character and the husband is of bad character, then continual suffering and a cross will result for the party of good character. Then in that case, one must apply patience and endurance And overcome whatever evil may occur with patience. So he's saying that if the husband's good but the wife is horrid, or the opposite, the husband's horrid and the wife is good, the the person who's, who's, who's the better one will suffer living with that person. And he said it's a cross, continual suffering, and you have to apply patience and endure and overcome evil uh, evil may however michael with patience so that's what a person uses his christian he struggles in a christian way to deal with that person that's his cross maybe god could have made him sick or made her sick and her cross or his cross might have been just dealing with their own sickness everyone has to have a cross Some people's cross could be a very bad spouse. Number three, St John Chrysostom says, if you have a difficult wife, you must bear with her bravely. You must correct her faults with patience. If you endure, God, who is watching you, will reward you for your patience. Your wife may also repent and be saved. Again, What's he saying? Exactly the same as St. Tikhon of Dons. Yes, it will be difficult, but that's where you exercise your Christian patience and you've still got to correct her. Obviously, you're to, you can't just say nothing. You're going to say but nicely say, that's not right, whatever, and she doesn't listen or he doesn't listen, the person bears it. And through your patience, St. John Christum saying, uh, your spouse may also repent and be saved. Now, these next two things that I'm going to read from St. Cosmas of Etolia uh, shocked me because I've read so, so many times his book, the, the, the book that they've got of his sermon, but it just never registered until I did this talk. So when I get a talk, I like to go through as many books as I can, find all the different from the saints, the holy elders, and present them. So as I went snooping around, I went into here and I found these two things which I have never read before or never registered. This is very interesting. So you've got to hold on to your seats because some of you will be quite shocked of what the saint is saying. He said the following. If you have a bad wife, you would be more fortunate than your neighbour who has a good wife because with the patience that you show, God will have mercy on you and will place you in paradise. Again, he said, <clears throat> No woman can be more virtuous than a woman who comforts and endures her husband. If your husband is bad, you should be more fortunate than a woman who has a good husband because you will receive a greater reward for your soul. Now, this is where we hear something and our minds turn upside down, which, is, which, is, um, which can happen, but never reject. Because when we hear what the saints say, even if we don't understand, we just say, I don't understand. I can't penetrate into this. It seems to me strange. How can a woman who have, has a bad husband be better off than a woman who has a good husband? Because she will receive greater reward in the next life for enduring a bad husband. And, and the same with, the, with um, a husband if, she, if he's got a bad wife. So when people think to themselves and go, oh, look, woe to me, my husband's bad, and more look at my sister or my friend or my neighbour, they've got such a nice husband who's really nice to them, and you say, look at me, we've got to think about the purpose of our life. What's the purpose of our life? The purpose of our life is salvation. For some, it's been born into a war. Or into like St. Nectaris that was born in, um, during the time of the Turkish Empire. Elder Paisos, when he was born, had to flee with all his family from the Turks that were killing Greeks. Others could come, become paralysed. Others can become blind. Other, everyone's got their cross to pick up. The more we suffer in this life the greater the reward. So therefore, people who are married to bad spouses shouldn't despair and understand and say, well, this is what I've got, but what counts is what we receive in the next life. And greater reward are for those who endure suffering because it's like martyrdom. Correcting a bad spouse, evil cannot be corrected with harshness but with love. Let's look at that. Uh, how do we correct our spouse and guide them towards salvation? Do we use force, threats and arguments or do we use meekness and gentleness? A monk asked of a spiritual father, Father, my brother leads a restless life. Restless life means it uh, wasn't leading a spiritual life. He is neither here nor there. This worries me. And the older answers back, My son, do not grumble when you speak to your brother. It is not polite to speak with harshness against our brethren. A demon will not cast out a demon. Evil cannot be corrected with harshness and harshness can't be corrected with evil. You will set him straight with your kindness. And our God does not threaten sinners but he brings them on the right path with supplications. So that's from the Evergetinos there saying of how we should correct someone. St Paul in his epistles to the Romans wrote do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good so if one's spouse is evil or bad or whatever and it says, this is, what it, this is what I'm trying to say here, it says to overcome evil with good while harshness only creates more problems let's read what St Paul says to the Christians to the Galatians there but the fruit of the spirit is love joy and Peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If we live in the spirit, what St. Paul saying, if we have the grace of God, let us also walk in the spirit. And what's that? What you want to say? Well, if someone's got the, the, the Holy Spirit, if someone's got the grace of God, then that person has love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Let us not become conceited, means proud, provoking one another, envying one another. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, meaning someone, if you see someone, one of your a brother or sister in Christ, who is doing something which is bad, you who are spiritual, Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfil the law of Christ. So, we, we, some um, zealots who believe that they are um, holy fathers and they go against, say, ecumenism. And when they are going against the ecumenists, against the her, against her, the heretics etc they become angry irrit, irritated and they believe that that comes from the grace of god but when we read the lives of saints and we read like the the lives of holy fathers who were confessors of the faith we will notice that they were like lions in the sense of their confession of faith but as but their spirituality was one of meekness, humility, kindness, goodness, patience, etc, and uh, peace etc that is an indication that they had the holy the, the, the grace of God now the, some Protestants, not all of them, there are some obviously Protestants which are, have a good disposition and follow the gospel in their way. Uh, but they haven't got the fullness of the truth because they they've lost the, lost the tradition. But anyway, some of them believe that they are full of the grace of God. They say, we're full of the Holy Spirit. And they're jerking and jumping and doing somersaults and then making strange noises like animals. And they believe, they go, oh, we're, full, we're, we've got the, we're full of the grace of God. These are like charismatics and things like that. But that's not the characteristic of of the... Of those who were full of the grace of God see and that's where uh, saints like Saint Nectarius even though he was being persecuted and even though he had all these horrible priests and bishops that were after him you could see he still stood for the truth he preached his orthodoxy but he still had the virtues of the, the fruits of the Holy Spirit the fruit of the Holy Spirit Meekness, love, patience, kindness. So if we think we're spiritual, then we should see and condemn ourselves and say, "Well, if I was spiritual, then I would have all these virtues. But a lot of times we don't. We're impatient when, we have, when someone's got a fault, when we correct someone, we're agitated. If someone't listen, if someone doesn't listen to us. We become angry. This is not an indication of someone that's got the grace of God. So, let's go back to the point. The point is that if a person who is supposedly spiritual is married to someone who's not, then that person is to correct the other person in a Christian spirit. A husband may argue that his wife is twisted and and so he sees no reason to treat her well. For this reason alone, he should treat her with kindness in an effort to win her over to Christ. For how do you know, a husband, whether you will save your wife? Saint Paul says in his epistle to the Corinthians. The same applies to women. Women may argue that their husbands mistreat them and are horrible. This is one more reason to treat their, their husbands with love and care. In addition, as a woman, you should use the great gift God has given you, affection. With this, you can work miracles. Women have that, uh, the, which is of their, which is a, one of their characteristics. They've got what this softness, this affection, which, as we know from Samson, that when Delilah tempted him, she used it in an evil way, and he lost his strength because she was all affectionate to him, and then she asked him what 's the secret of the, of his strength and he said, "My hair, and while he was sleeping, um, she cut his hair and that so women have that vert have that gift which they can use for evil they can use for good. some women have have, have used that gift and have made their husbands uh, even kill someone because they wanted to revenge that person so it can be used for evil. It can be used for good. Now, here this, this Archerman Dryad, was in his book, saying that they should use it and, um, to win their husbands. With this, you can work miracles. For how do you know, O oh wife, whether you will save your husband? Now, I've read that quote a number of times. It's St Paul says it twice. For how do you know, O oh husband, whether you will save your wife? For how do you know, O oh wife, whether you will save your husband? This is when he's telling husbands and wives to stay together. Now, this means... Don't you don't you wives realize that your husbands might be saved because of you, and don't you husbands realize that your wives might be saved because of you? That's what it means. That's what it means when it says, "For how do you know a wife whether you will save your husband? How do you know a husband whether you save your wife?" It means if you stay together, there is a chance that you will be able to save your spouse. Two examples which the Archimandrite mentions: one. A former member of a heretical group stated the following. So this person was um, uh, of another faith. My Orthodox wife would pray for me and I would tell her off. The more she prayed, the more violent I became. She only lengthened her prayer. Her face was always bright. Her belief in me, her love, her kindness and affection shocked me. I repented. I became an Orthodox Christian because of her. And example two, when the wife of a Hindu became an Orthodox Christian, so these people were married, so there were two Hindus, for example, and one of them becomes Orthodox. Well, the church does not allow, then say to the wife, you've got to leave your husband because he's not an Orthodox Christian, because they were, they were um, not that an Orthodox Christian can go and marry a Hindu now, if That's because they were both Hindus. And one converted to Orthodoxy, and her husband was enraged She responded with meekness. She would cook his favourite food. The result, the beast, her husband, was tamed. He also became an Orthodox Christian thanks to his wife. I love those two examples, even though that's more on the next talk about when you live with unbelievers and all that. But I thought of putting it in to see how a woman can use this gift of affection for good and not the other one, which is the nagging and the things like that. Christ himself said, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he, meaning God, is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Christ, This is Christ's words. And he's saying, well, if you love those who love you, there's no real credit But when you love your enemy, when you love those who hate you, then there's reward. Because he says even sinners love their own. St. Paul in his epistle to the Romans, he wrote the following. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Repay no one evil for evil. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Why did I mention those two things? If that's what we're supposed to do with our enemies, bless them, pray for them, love them, how much more then should that be for one's spouse if the spouse has become like their enemy? In this case, if this is the case for our enemies, how much more should it be for one spouse, the mother, the father of one's children? Man and wife are one flesh. They are no longer two, but one flesh. So, we know that Christ says to love your enemies. It seems that people have in their mind, okay, we have to love our enemies, that's Christ's commandment, but if the enemy is my husband or my wife, I'm not going to love them. Listen, I'm going to divorce them. That's basically what's been said today. Because that's how it comes out. Sometimes that's what happens. Your your enemy could be your own wife, your own husband. A little side uh, note here. A person went overseas recently and he visited a monastery there of a spiritual mother who was a spiritual daughter of Eldris Makrina of Volo. And she said the following, and this person sent me this, and he said, I sent this because it's basically what you say. Let's see what what she said. She does not accept people with psychological problems in in her monastery as a rule. She said there is much spiritual sickness today, deception and psychological problems, and in most cases the reason for this psychological problems is egoism where as soon as you start to correct someone even nicely they can't take it and lose it other reasons for psychological problems could be hereditary and physiological like physical some people should neither marry nor become monastic but bear their cross as lay people because of the problems they have now I am one priest who believes in that When people come to me and ask advice, and they've got certain psychological problems, I tell them, don't get married. I'm talking about psychological problems where you know they will not have success in any marriage. And they say to me, oh, but all the other priests are saying for me to get married that I'll get better. So I've never heard of that. So you're going to have a, psycho- a psychologically sick person is going to enter into the spiritual arena, which is marriage. Because like the Christians used to enter into the arena to fight the lions, that's how it's-, its marriage is. It's an arena. Marriage is suffering and you have to be a soldier. You have to be strong. You have to be spiritual. You have to be a person of prayer, a person of patience and endurance a person that's had some experience in spiritual life how can that person enter into a very stressful a very difficult type of life which is marriage with psychological problems and say I'm going to get better when I, have to, when I, when I get married and when they have children that's the end of them that we, People have to live in reality. And I'm glad that he found this because I often say it, but I don't know if people actually believe it. I've seen so many catastrophes and I'm a person and I, I have given advice to many. I had one person who, who, who is ill for whatever reason and... Uh, that person's mother does everything for him. The person's around 25. So the mother cooks for him, cleans for him, does his bed, changes this, does that, shops. This person does nothing. So I tried to sit, I say to this person, look, you know, this person just came to the church and I said, do you want to get better? You've got to start doing things so that you can show that whether you're capable of getting married. So why don't you start hopping around the house? It uh, doesn't do it. I said, what happens when mummy dies? He goes, oh. I'll have to get married to someone so they can take care of me. He's laughing, aren't you? Yeah, but that's the point, isn't it? People don't really understand. I said to that person, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. But he understood and he, he said, no, thank you for that advice. Today, unfortunately, priests are, very, are being quite, not all of them, but a large majority of them are irresponsible. And I say that with pain. Like that one that I heard a talk once of, this, of, of a priest in America. And he was talking of how he got married. When he, before he became a priest. And he was talking to this, uh, um, to a group of people. And then the talks had been spread. And he said, um, When I met my wife, I said to her, Do you want to get married? And she said, Oh, I can't because I, I'm just not very, I'm not domestic. I can't take care of things, um, things like that. And he said, Do you know how to vacuum? And she said, Yes, I can vacuum. She goes, But what else do you need? And everyone laughed, ha ha ha. And it made, made me sick. And you made a joke of it. in other words, um, so if a person has had a vacuum, that's the prerequisite for marriage. V- vlakias, as they say in Greek. And you wonder why um, people, there's catastrophes. Now maybe that, maybe that marriage was successful. I don't, but don't use those type of things as an example. Don't use exceptions. Maybe that his wife later on became good. I don't know. exceptions are not the rule. That's what the saints say. Don't look at exceptions. Like the man, like the woman who lost her, her child died and then she was so much in despair that she came across a prostitute and she said, my, my child has died and this woman w- just was with a customer. So she hadn't even... Anyway. So she this prostitute got upset and felt sorry and she done, and she did a prayer and the child... Uh, and the child got, uh, rose from the dead or something like that. And then St. Ignatius says, these are exceptions. In, in general, God does not listen to people who do sins like that unrep- and, and, and un- un- unrepentant. But there are exceptions. So it doesn't mean if your child is dying that you're going to go to the nearest brothel to go and ask the prostitutes to help to pray for you. So these are Exceptions. So if this woman only could vacuum and then she became become a... That's an exception. But you don't have it as a rule. That's silly. So I'm a firm believer in that. And, that's, and this nun, um, uh, uh, confirmed that. There are people that are very ill, people that are dysfunctional. But not only... So there are people who are are uh, successful, they can work. They can work, they can get high positions, they're very successful. But put them into a relationship where they've got to deal with someone every day, like a husband or a wife, they can't do it either. Because they could be highly, what's the word called, highly... um, What was that? No, no, uh, what's the thing where people are, they're very competent, they're high. high... High, high function. I don't, they they're very good at those things, but not in family. They can't deal with well. That's, some of them are like might have mild mild um, autism or something. But the point is that it's not enough. So if someone says, "Oh, I'm going to marry this guy. He's really successful. He's got a top position in a company. He gets 150,000 a year." Yes, and. He goes, well, that's it. So that's, your, that's the way you're going to gauge your marriage. You're going to marry someone because he gets 150 and because he's got a high position. And then they get married and they say, that this person's out of it. This person, this person doesn't even talk to me. This person's on the internet all night. Now, the next section, a couple, uh, St. on. Now, this is now... Uh, I'm going to read a number of things to lead to a to a, to a point. Saint Tikkun of Zedong writes, The husband must not abandon his wife, nor the wife her husband, until death. But according to their vow, the promise that they made, and the consent that they agreed, they must remain inseparable to the end. Number two, Archimandrite Amelianos, the, the, of Manathos there, the abbot, he wrote... God abhors separation and divorce. God hates separation and divorce. Uh, He wants unbroken unity. He himself said that. Christ himself. I live for the... and And then Elder Emiliano says, I live for the other and for that reason I tolerate his faults. A person who can't put up with another can't marry. What he's trying to say is a person who cannot live with someone who's got faults, shouldn't get married. Today, unlike years ago, where there was bigger families, there might have been three or four in one one room. Everyone was rubbing up on each other. Now everyone's got their own room. And people don't mix much together anymore. They don't even eat together. They're on the computer continually, emails, Facebook... And they lead lives which are sickening. So everyone's got their own room. Everyone's got their own life. They're not rubbing up with each other. Those people, when they get married, will do the same. They will be in their own room. And the spouse will be in another room. And a lot of them don't even eat together. They don't even sleep together. It it even gets to that stage. So a person who can't put up with another, that's why uh, large families are better. Where everyone's in each other's face and you become more tolerant. St. John Chrysostom says the following, No, you have no right to get rid of your wife. Your wife is your body. Since you can't cut off your body and throw it away, neither can you throw your wife away You must love her like you love your own body. What what does St. John mean? Well, he's using what... what, He's always talking about what St. Paul says. uh, And I'll quote from Ephesians where St. Paul says, So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. What does that mean? Because when a husband and a wife, well, when they join, they become one flesh. They become one. So if a person hates their wife or if a person hates their husband, they're hating themselves because that person is part of them. And St. Saint Saint John Chrysostom says, you, oh because you know you, you don't like your arm or your arm's a bit sick or something wrong with it, you don't cut it off. That's the same as if you have a problem with your wife. You don't cut her off. You don't get rid of her because it's like you're cutting part of your body because you are one. Number four, St. John Christum says, if you kick her out, you will be judged in the same manner as an adulterer. If you kick your wife out, you will be judged in the same manner as an adulterer. And then Elder, the, sorry, Archimandrite uh, Vasilius Hege says, a good husband is the one that bears his difficult wife and does not send her away. Not being able to bear the faults of the wife whom he chose is a sign of weakness. So a Christian man or a Christian woman who says, oh, I can't take the faults of my husband or my wife, or her, that is a sign of spiritual weakness. A good wife also bears the faults of the man whom she chose to marry and does not leave him. Number five from, from Marriage a Spiritual Arena... the Archimandrite again says, in our time we have become accustomed to the idea of divorce and it no longer seems evil to us. In reality, though, it's sinful. See, in the old days, divorce was looked at as bad. But ever since the 60s with the sexual revolution, with the introduction of the, the pill, with the making divorce easy... And the other one was uh, the abortions. See, women would, would be scared to cheat on their husbands because if they got pregnant, the husband could find out. But there's no problem with that. Now you just abort the child. So all these things, uh, abortion was 1972, I think, in America. And here, I think, the same. All these things created problems. A lot of this came out of the sexual revolution and the feminist revolution. Australian of the Year, Ida Butros. Should we clap, or should we boo? Why? Because she was the one that uh, made that magazine clear. And some of you know that Cleo is an inappropriate magazine, which was centred at women, and and created um, created this situation where people went faithful. Anyway, you. See, in the eyes of the world, she's a hero, but for Christians, it's not. Today, the the world's confused of what's right and what's wrong. In our, um, during the sacrament of marriage, husband and wife give an oath before Christ; they make a vow, promise, in other words. Before the church and before people, they will, that they will live together for the rest of their lives. That's what happens in a marriage service. Whoever ends their marriage breaks their, this oath and commits a great sin because they promised. Now, monastics also give an oath to God that they will remain monastics for the rest of their lives. So like married people make their vows in church, in front of God, in front of everyone that's there, monastics also, in in front of God, in front of the people there, make their vows, their promises, that they will remain a monastic to the end. A monastic who leaves monasticism is also breaking his or her oath and, and committing a great sin. Both married people and monks or nuns who break their oaths are guilty of the same sin that they made a promise to God and they went against their promise. They both have disdained the oath that they gave of their own free will and formally before the church. If the person who is getting a divorce has children, the sin is compounded. In other words, it's made worse. In the case of monastics, they give word only for themselves, but a married person will give word For themselves, for the spouse that they left and the children that they're leaving without parents. Both are sinful, but as I said, if a monk or nun leaves a man, it's a very big sin. A monk once, it was um, a monk left his monasticism, went into the world, got married. And he was a schemer. And he was, if I remember right, I can't remember the story fully, but someone told me the other day, if, I, if it's correct, that he was at the beach or with his children, he had children as well. And the children said to him, Daddy, what's that cross in front of you? He goes, what cross? He goes, what's the cross that you, that's there in front of you? And the, the father understood that the children, God allowed the children to see his monastic schema. So the I don't know if you know, but the monastics were a schema, there's a cross. And the father realized the sin that he did, and he with he consulted some elder and things, and then he left and went back to his monasticism because you cannot undo the, the, your tonsure, the schema. The young man who killed 27 people just a few months ago in Connecticut, 20 of, were children, um, and the man who in 2011 massacred 77 people people in Norway, have a similarity. Both lost their father through divorce. Their neighbours said that this was traumatic for them. They were traumatised by this divorce, which most children are, obviously. They both became antisocial and lonely and were suffering from a personality disorder. The one from America, the one that killed the children in, in Connecticut, he immersed himself in violent computer games for hours each day And you might say, oh, that's that's exceptional. Look, I haven't seen children who've come from divorced families which actually come out unscathed, you know, like they all affected. I had a a fellow that I was dealing with. He was about 30 now, 30 years old. And um, he was um, really mentally ill. And even though his parents divorced when he was... 13, 14, which is a very crucial time because he's going into his puberty, adolescence and all that. And um, he just all, still to this day, he can't get out of his brain that his parents divorced and all he could think about was for them to get together even though his father had married someone else. And this goes on and on and on and on. And that's why the church is is negative with that. Now, from the letters of Father John Christiankin, which is a Russian elder, he writes to someone and he says that you have not divorced your lawful husband blessed by God shows that your Christian conscience is still alive and it does not allow you to commit spiritual murder on your sick husband. What words are they? What's he, what's he talking about when he's saying, he's saying to this woman that it's good that you haven't divorced yet, which means your conscience is still there that you shouldn't do it, Because because you would be committing spiritual murder on your sick husband. What if one spouse is afflicted with an incurable illness and requires difficult care? Should he be taken to the cemetery before he dies? After all, you are sacramentally wedded. And he, your husband, is making efforts to struggle against his emotional illness. So this woman was contemplating to divorce her husband because he had a mental illness, emotional problem... And he's, he was struggling with it, but she was thinking to leave. And he says, you can't, she goes, he goes, you can't do that because you are joined, you are one. His condition is furthermore a result of the enemy's vengeance. You think about divorce, but he will perish after you abandon him and your soul will not be at peace for the rest of your days. Christianity is a podvig of life. Podvig is a Russian word, it's like... Um, an ascetical, it, it's a struggle, it's a suffering. Well, you know, Everyone's got a, their own podvig, as we say. Some person's podvig could be that they're sick, another person's could be that they've got a bad husband, another thing could be their podvig could be that they are very poor and they've got to deal with that in a Christian way. There's some type of crush, suffering that God has given them. So Christianity is a podvig of life, suffering, which is what I read in the beginning of the talk. It's a cr- it's, it is cross-bearing. Mm. It is labour. But nowadays, Christianity is for many just something on the tip of their tongue as long as the sky is blue, meaning that people say, I'm orthodox, I'm Christian, as long as everything's going well. But as soon as things go wrong, then all of a sudden then they're not really Christian. You need to pray patiently and even more patiently bear the burden of his illness You two are one flesh. When the husband is sick, the wife suffers. See, now we're getting somewhere. We're getting to this thing of what it means to be joined together, a husband and wife. See, when one is sick, the other one suffers too. Why? Because they're one. And that's why if people had a a relationship that um, a husband can be sensitive to what's going on in the wife and the wife can be sensitive to what's happening in the husband. So even though the husband could be at work or something and something's happening, the wife can sometimes sense that because they are one. When the husband is sick, the wife suffers. Another letter of Father John Christiankin says, you made your choice 21 years ago. Now that the Lord is entering your family through you, you are called to preserve your family, you are leaning towards its dispersion. This person married 21 years ago, but obviously they weren't in the church, and now she's changing. And with one person changing, there's a chance that the others in the family can change. He says, now that you're changing, and there's a chance that the others in your family can change, you want to separate, you want to destroy your family. The sacrament of marriage is God's blessing also upon children who are already born. I don't understand what, what it means. I can only guess. I, I didn't understand this letter fully. But I think she must have been saying to, this, to the elder that my husband doesn't believe or something like that, which means what's the point in having children? She already had children. What's the point in having children? They're just going to be born defiled or something because my husband's not a believer. The enemy is confusing you. You will be the one to answer for your husband should he depart into fornication, and you will have no justification for your guilt if you leave him, if you leave him and force him to go with someone else sexually, then you will be responsible for him doing that sin. Labour in your family, praying for your close ones. Much patience is needed for this good deed. Again, the word patience, which is what all the saints were saying earlier on. So we can start to see that why spiritual fathers are against divorce. Now, you might say, okay, well, that's spiritual fathers, but how about, the, you know, how about the Bible? What does the Bible say? From the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two but one flesh. These are Christ's words. Therefore what God has joined together let not man separate. Christ also said whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her and if a woman divorces her husband and marries another she commits adultery. Christ says that if someone divorces and marries someone else like divorces and marries it's, it's they've committed adultery. It's like they're having uh, um, sex out, outside of the marriage because of the fact that they're one. Now Corinthians St Paul says now to the married I command you yet not I but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband. So St. Paul said, what I'm saying now is not what I'm saying but what God is saying. A wife is not to depart from her husband but even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband and a husband is not to divorce his wife. Now I mentioned this in the first talk when I said, what does it mean by unmarried? How can she remain unmarried if she's married. See these little things. And we have to say what does it mean? Well, how, how, what do we do? Do we do what the Protestants do and say okay. Enlighten me God. Bring me all the meaning of the Gospels. No. Do we ask the Pope. To, for his interpretation. No. What do we do? We go to the church. We go to the Holy Fathers. We go to those who we can say, blessed are the pure in in spirit because they shall see God. We go to those who reached a high level of sanctity and were enlightened and gave us the interpretation of the scriptures. You see, we're not Luther. We are Orthodox Christians. Now, Luther reacted to the Roman Catholic Church, and I don't blame him because the Roman Catholic Church at the time was a mess. So he reacted. He contemplated Orthodoxy, but the poor man instead was too busy and he, uh, he was too more interested in marrying his ex-nun. So he was an ex-monk and he had this, uh, his girlfriend there that was an ex-nun, they got married, so therefore he knows that if you are in the Orthodox Church that wouldn't be allowed, just like King Henry who decided to make the Anglican church up because he wanted to marry another person, another woman or something like that, and they didn't allow divorce. So these are not how churches are made. Um, we have the Holy Fathers. We have the... the, the, the um, and that's what St. Paul says. He says, keep to the traditions. It's not just what's written in the Bible. And how can we understand? Even St. Paul says, how do we understand? Even the... Uh, the man that was the eunuch I don't know is that the right word that was on the the chariot and he was reading something from the Old Testament and Philip came up to him and said to him Apostle Philip do you know what you're reading he goes "Uh," he goes how would I know unless someone explains it to me so what does it mean but even if she does depart let her remain unmarried this is not saying that well one she shouldn't marry it means that she remained separate but still married. Sometimes separation is necessary. Like if, so for example, you, someone is completely out of it and dangerous to the children, you don't say, I want a divorce. You separate. You might have to separate for a while for the person to seek help. You don't put your children in danger. So why? And St John Christum says, Uh, you know he says if you need to if you can't get on whatever if you need to separate he's even said at least live in the same house separate because there's a chance to reconcile that's what it means remain unmarried or be reconciled to your husband but not to divorce it says and a husband is not to divorce his wife are you bound to a wife do not seek to be loose that's what saint paul says Ephesians, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes just as the Lord does the church. So, a correct attitude towards a bad spouse is as follows. Archimandrite Vasilius writes the following, you must keep the foolish thought of separation out of your head. If such thoughts burden you, discard them as trash and say to yourself, I like these two points that he said, number one, when I wanted to marry her, she was fine. She changed for the worse after our wedding. She changed when she was with me. Maybe it's my fault. If I'm to blame, why should I get rid of her? I should correct myself. I should treat her like I did before we got married, when we're engaged and in love. So he's trying to say, like, people like to say, oh, the reason our marriage has gone down is because it's her fault or it's his fault, but never their fault. And saying, uh, sorry, this uh, Archimandri is saying, why don't you say to yourself, well, maybe, she, um, maybe she's, she's changed or he's changed because of me. The next one, but even if I made the wrong choice and I was fooled into thinking that she was good for me, then I'm to blame for being a dope, in other words. I should have been more careful. I am the one to be punished, not her." So we correct our thoughts by thinking in the right way and that can help prevent a catastrophe. Do you think of yourself as a good spouse, honest, dedicated, etc? If you do, then why don't you put up with your difficult spouse? How else will you show your Christian virtues? What virtues? Patience, long-suffering, endurance, forgiveness, humility, kindness and love. That's what, these are the virtues that we can uh, acquire when we have to deal with people, in the case of spouses, with a difficult person. How would a bad person react in this case? Wouldn't he or she curse their spouse? Wouldn't such a person push for a divorce? Therefore, how can you, who are supposed to be an Orthodox Christian... Do the same thing as a person who's a bad spouse or a person who doesn't believe. If you're a true Christian, then show it by exercising the virtues, which is patience, love, long-suffering, etc. Talk like we're Christians and then we can't even tolerate things. But on the other hand, if you admit that you are not a good spouse, then you are responsible for the problem in your marriage. You should blame yourself You should also make an effort to change. If you blame your spouse, you are the one who's truly a poor spouse. See, if we just blame ourselves more, look at things in the right way, then a lot of these problems will be eliminated. But it's always, it's her fault. It's his fault. It's her fault. It's just continual. Unfortunately, what that Abba said is true, that... Um, when people have got a demented mind and they haven't got a good disposition towards salvation, whatever you say, like for example, I was dealing with a couple and the husband was complaining about the wife. And I said to the man, because uh, oh, she you know, does this, 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 I go, can you understand that your wife had, say, three children in a row? Do you understand that she had the baby and a few months later she got pregnant again, had another baby, and then whatever, five, six months, and had another baby, etc.? Cetera, et cetera. I said, do you understand that that's very taxing? Do you understand that that's very difficult and that if your wife lost it a little bit here and there, wouldn't you understand it's from all that, all that? And he goes, no. No, I don't. these are demented people unfortunately and um, I feel sorry for that woman uh, sometimes you just can't move a person to have any sympathy any feeling towards the other person it's always them but she didn't cook for me well she was up breastfeeding two children all night But she didn't cook for me. It's times like that, of course, we're not allowed, but it's times like that where you just feel like going, one, two, three. Slap them across the face and say, wake up to yourself, you're losing your marriage. Do you understand you could lose your marriage? But she didn't cook for me. (laughs) Has anyone got any questions or comments? I don't know if the orthodox it, but you know how um, when you see weddings on TV this is for sickness and in health, does the orthodox have that same? Well, there's all these prayers yeah. which the which the church has, unfortunately a lot of them are read in Slavonic, Greek or whatever, and people don't understand them. Um, so there's the commitment there, so when, if, if somebody's sick you don't just run away, that's what it sounds um, Say. Some priests are actually doing educational classes before marriage, and which is good, and talking to people about marriage. Some priests will just marry marry people, uh, but you know, people might think I'm an ecumenist or something like that, and I'm not saying it because of of, of um visitors. But uh, lately, I've noticed too, it's an, and it's embarrassing that. The, the, the Protestants, and I've been looking at this for the last few months, that they are uh, the ones that are a bit, the, the, the stricter ones. They don't believe in a lot of things that, the Orthodox, they don't believe in the Mother of God and things they are, you know, they've gone off in those things. However, they go with the Bible and to, in their way they are, re- really have understood in many ways better than a lot of the Orthodox about the 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 position of a man in the marriage, the woman, the children, and bringing and it's, it's amazing. And when I sometimes look at these things, I say this is embarrassing because they are more active in teaching their people than the Orthodox a lot of Orthodox Christians are, and that's why a lot of people saying uh, like so. A lot of these things that I'm reading they would talk about, the Protestants would actually talk about what it, what it means for the man to be the head of the family, a lot of other things. And it's interesting that even though they are heterodox and they've, you know, they haven't got the entire truth there, but it's interesting that God still even enlightens them to come close to the truth. Even, as we said, that God enlightened the Magi, the, the astrologers, using their belief in stars he didn't, he didn't use the star for the Jews because Jews don't believe in stars but he used through the star to bring these, the, the Magi to Bethlehem those who are naturalists he uses nature to bring them closer to the truth God gives sparks of the truth to everyone, whoever they are. And many Protestants do, in their way, try to lead the Christian life according to the Bible, but just the Bible. And embarrassing to say that a lot of times they get it, they get it right, more right than the Orthodox, because the Orthodox is slack, Very, very much they're producing um, films and all these books, etc. all to do with marriage, the man, the wife, uh, the love. And you see, uh, even though we have a lot of material, but it's just I don't feel it's being done in the Orthodox Church. Now, some people might say, oh, he's Protestant. Anyway, but that's the point. The point is that... um, uh, I confess and say that the orthodox church is the truth but I'm not going to lie and say that others don't have sparks of the truth and that each will be God will take care of according to the disposition of their soul. How much they want to be saved and what's in their heart in other words. And, it is, and it's not proper for people who are orthodox Christians not to know what is marriage. What is, an, what is a Christian woman? What is a Christian man? How should children be brought up? Any other questions before we go on? Yes, Anastasi, yes. My answer was with your thoughts, a cultural thing, that was a barrier as well, and not practising it the way he be, was Christ it's as much a cultural thing or a traditional thing, not a church tradition, sort of, but just a cultural thing. Um, the attitude of the really in particular in the it is. but isn't that I use. But isn't that what education's about? Yeah. So if the priest says that, oh, that that's just a, tradi- um, a culture, say, for example, that oh, orthodox men don't treat their wives properly, for example, then why aren't they then t- speaking about it? Because they're, sc- huh? yeah, is because they're scared that the m- people might not come to church and put the twenty cents in for the candle. You see, so I don't know. Do we look at souls with how much candles we're going to sell, or do we look at souls because they're souls that need to be saved? An example from Abbot Haralambos Uh Once at New Skeet, a lady wrote me a letter. Here's what Elder Haralambos saying. Father Haralambos, I beg you, please pray for my husband. Recently, he has started coming home late and, as if that was not enough, he loses his temper a lot. I suspect he has got involved with someone and I'm afraid that he's going to divorce me and leave me with two children. Then the elder continues, I put them all in the liturgy and in my prayer rope. So he said that he prayed for them in the liturgy And he prayed for them on his prayer rope. I wrote to the lady, you will also pray, do you agree? So I like that because a person who understands prayer understands that it's got to be two-way. Not just the priest or the monk or whatever praying for a person, but they always say, you pray as well. We will pray together. And then the elder goes on, we keep vigil here every night, for eight to nine hours, services on Mount Athos, the church services, important of actual fact, even St. Anthony's in, um, in American Arizona, uh, their church services would be probably the same because they go according to the Mount Athos uh, typical, the um, program. Uh, on an ordinary day, they could be doing around eight to nine hours services a day. And when there's great feast days, they go to 14 hours a day in, in one day. Sometimes straight. So he said here, we keep vigil here every night for eight to nine hours. Organise yourself so that you can do as much as you can. I also told her how to say the Jesus prayer and the Akathos to the Theotokos every day. She didn't take long to respond to me. And she said, I do all that you have written to me, elder." I felt great relief inside me from the first day, she said. Now I am, I am no longer anxious. I have entrusted everything to God. Now that's important. When someone comes to me and says, my father died or someone has died and I'm in pain and I can't settle down and I always tell them, well, once you start praying for their soul, you will come down. So I recommend them, for example, to get the Akathist. The repose of, 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 of a loved one. Start doing that, and you will calm down, and uh, your your anxiety will start to go, and you start to be re, to receive God's grace. And when, whenever we receive God's grace, we receive peace. Anxiety, as Elder Bayusio says, comes from not trusting in God. A lot of times. when someone is having troubles and they've got pain and and anguish in their heart and anxiety, what's going to happen? Is my husband going to be able to find a job? uh, I say, fall to prayer, do prayer. And then they always say, you know what, I feel calmer now. I feel that God will work out the problem. So this woman confirmed that. I, no longer, I am no longer anxious. I have entrusted everything to God. Not many days later, a second letter arrived, said the elder. Before I answered it, a third, then a fourth letter came. In the end, she wrote to me, O oh, Father Haralambos, how sweet life is near Christ. If I had known, I would have become a nun. But even now, oh, if I didn't have my husband and children, actually the thought comes inside me, it would be good if my husband decided to divorce me, at least I would live a nun at home. Okay, so uh, we come to a little bit of a. We have to look, look at this and, and um, explain. She began. The reason I'm using this example is to show you how problems in a marriage can bring us closer, can bring one closer to Christ, or in point of fact, any problems. Look at what happened in America when the 9-11 happened. Everyone was running to churches. All of a sudden they were singing to God and praying to God and there was a whole spiritual revival. Churches were being filled when wars happened, when famines happened, when other problems, when marital problems. Remember what Elder Paisio said? He said, there are three main problems that people come to me. One is cancer, one is marital problems like divorce and things and the other one is cancer, marital problems, uh, mental illness. He goes, they're the main three things that people come to me for, he's he's saying. And I remember a woman who, or family, who their child had become, had developed some demonic problems. And they thought to themselves, maybe someone's done something. So the the, the mother, the father, I can't remember both of them, they started, uh, of course, a lot of times they go to magicians first which makes the situation worse. A lot of times it can end up with the person killing themselves. And uh, then they start going to churches. They might go to psychiatrist first, they might get doctors, they might try medication, then they'll try magicians and all over the thing. Oh. And then they come to the church, and they start going to different shrines, different miraculous icons, speak to spiritual fathers and they start uh, learning more and uh, getting prayers done for their child and liturgies and paraclises and things, and things like that. And then, of course, a lot of times the, the, the person gets much, much better. But it's interesting that these people, in the meanwhile, are actually coming closer and closer to the church. And all of a sudden, they kind of realise, um, I believe I actually am a believing Christian instead of being what I was before, which was dead. So all problems help us. We shouldn't... um, Of course, it's difficult to go through problems, whether it's a death or a sickness or unemployment or financial stress or people losing their houses like they're losing now. But at the same time, we have to realise that God allows things to bring us closer to him. Our life here on earth is only going to be, whatever, a few years. It could be 50, 60, 70, even if we get 100, 110 maybe. Who knows with all these art, um, because they give you all bionic things now. I suppose a person can go on for years, they've got bionic eyes, bionic arms, um, basically you're half machine, half human. So they can maybe maybe you can hit 110. So people can live and live and live, but what's that in front of eternity for the next life? So. People say, God is cruel, how does he allow this and how does he allow that and how does he allow people to be sick and to die and children and divorces and this, whatever. But the point, of the, the point is that at the end, if we were to able to speak to those who are in heaven and ask them, what did you go through? They'll say, I went through this sickness, I went through this, I went through this, I went through this, I went through this. And if you ask them, well, um, what do you feel about that? And they would answer, I would go back to earth and go through it a hundred times worse because of what's waiting for us in the next life. It's while we're going through it a lot of times we find it difficult. We don't understand God's plan and God's wisdom. So this woman who, who wrote to the elder initially because she was worried about divorce... listened to his instructions, started to pray and became more and more close to Christ such that she started to experience the sweetness of the spiritual life. But then she kind of started to say, oh, you know, I hope he he does divorce me. That's where you start, you know, to say that's not uh, uh, a a proper attitude. Um, And the older wrote to her, you know, you now have some understanding of how beautiful monasticism is However, at the moment, don't discuss such things. You have got married. Then you will take up the cross of marriage. Continue to pray and whatever is the will of God will happen. He knows how to take care of things. I don't remember what happened, says the elder, and we stopped corresponding. But during the time she was writing, both she and her children were going better. In the end, when her husband sometimes returned a little early from being out all night, she would say to herself, why did you come home early tonight and ruin my companionship with Christ? You know, that, that can be looked at as negative a positive, but to me, I, don't, I think it's... Um, um, if we have Christ in our heart, then we, all, then we must have love. That's obviously... If Christ is in our heart, then that means we, are, we have love. So if a person doesn't care about their husband then perhaps initially she was going well, but then, you know, what happens a lot of times is that people can fall into, to, into um, deception. But he doesn't say that. I think... Uh, let's just say that she... Uh, um, because of the problems with her husband, she became a more fervent Christian. But perhaps she a little bit went off maybe from pride later on. but that's not the point. See if we want to if we want to how Christ turns things upside down. Christ is seeking an excuse through some illness, some circumstance or some temptation to bring us all closer to him. you should have you should have seen pure prayer when the Bulgarians once caught us what what tears, what concentration I don't know the history but when Elder Haralambos was younger, he must have been captured and he said that while we were in in these in whatever he was in prison uh, with the Bulgarians, um, he said that um, they would pray. By the time they released us, we nearly all became God-bearers. Meaning that while they were in prison, they prayed so much that they don't be tortured or, or to be whatever... To, they were praying so much that they became fervent Christians. So in afflictions, this is where we become, where we become closer to God. A brother, here in this, the conversation about the woman, asked the elder, Elder, what happened to the husband of that lady at the end? And the elder said, up to the time that we were still corresponding, he remained unrepentant. I believe, though, that something happened. This lady had a lot of prayer. At some point, her prayer would have touched him. No one will deny that when a person lives with a spouse who is a beast, such a person is repeatedly wounded. We've already said that, all the, all the saints, elders, and they say that it's very hard. Of course, the easiest way out is to jump out of the arena of marriage and run away. In other words, divorce. The most difficult thing in a marriage is preserving the holy bond of marriage and the family with patience, endurance, love and faith in God. That's difficult. That's obvious because that's why people don't stay together. It's very difficult to stay together today. Society doesn't help for people to stay together. Society helps for people to separate. All these feminists, a lot of them, Saint Oprah from America, sorry, Oprah, she, um, you know, she's the guru, she, she tells women, and women, you know, listen to her with their tongues hanging out, salivating, as if to say like she's the Messiah or something like that. Did you hear that she does public confessions now? She, um... So where they put down the orthodoxies, they go. Oh, confession, confession. Why does anyone have to confess for that? She confessed on national television, or for the whole world to see. The fellow with the bike that was taking the drugs, Lance Armstrong, I think his name is, and um, and I think the newspaper here said, um, um, Oprah's church. In other words, that she's like as if she's a a high priestess or something, and she's actually that for him to cleanse himself. He doesn't go to God, but he goes to uh, Oprah. And if she approves and gives absolution, then he's forgiven. And if she doesn't approve, then he will be under the wrath of um, Oprah. Why do I make fun? Why do I say these things? Because nothing is so silly as for Orthodox Christians to get their advice from these people. And that's what's happening. People get their advice from these type of people, the itabotrices of this world for Australia, Oprah over there, the other person there, the Baldwin, what's his name? Dr. Dr. Phil. And all these other people, That people go and get advice. Now, some of the things they say is good. I've, I've actually seen a few of the Oprah shows there, and I've listened and there's some points that she says is good. A lot of it's poison, but there are points that are good. But it's not according to God. It's gospel. It's according to the gospel. Look, it's according to the gospel of her. us Christians don't need to read these magazines and watch these things to get advice. That advice is wrong, a lot of it. read the Bible, read the lives of saints, listen to some talks, read the Holy Fathers, read writings of the saints for marriage, etc. That's where you get your advice. Spiritual fathers, your confessor, if he cares for your soul, that is. Because some priests can give absolution, but they're not going to give you advice. But there are other priests who give absolution, but also guide your soul. So that's why I speak negatively on purpose to get the point across. I wish the woman to be saved and I don't don't wish anyone to go to hell as much as I don't want to go to hell. I don't want anyone to go to hell. Um, But as an orthodox priest, I have to give warnings and I'll use any way that I can to help people to understand. Don't trust these people. Like where, where, where she says, you know, if a, man, if a man hits you once, he'll always hit you and you must separate. But how about, the, how about the pots and pans that men get on their heads? How come she doesn't say anything about that? But we'll come into abuse in a minute. So, if a beast can be tamed with kindly stroking... Even a lion or a tiger, you know, stroke them slow. You might lose your hand, but you might not. You might be able to um, make it for a while anyway. Then people who are made in the image of God can also be tamed. Beasts are wild by nature. People are wild willfully and as a result of demonic deception. A true husband or wife chooses the path that leads towards Golgotha, that is suffering, in the hope that their spouse's soul is resurrected from the dead, spiritual dead. Uh, the, the, the grace of God helps such spouses bear the beast, to bear such a difficult spouse. Shouldn't they be considered martyrs? And they are. That's what St. Cosmas said, that you um, are, are, are much uh, bl- are more blessed, that's the way he's saying it, than someone who's got a good spouse because you are enduring more, you are suffering more, and your reward is greater in heaven. Now... Paternal Councils, Volume 1, Elder Philotheos at which is produced by St John of Cronstam Press. The nice little letter there that Elder Philotheos wrote, who died in 1980. He was a spiritual child, if you remember, of St Nectarius. He said to a woman, I saw saw your great sadness and the troubles which you are suffering from your husband. As your spiritual father, I sympathised with you and grieved for you. I advise you, if you want to be saved, to be patient. See, I've said in the past, you don't hear those words much. If you want to be saved. It's always like a psychological way of speaking, like a real worldly way. But it's rare for someone to say, do you want to be saved? Like this woman was telling me, I can't, even recently, she goes, I can't take my husband, he makes me sick, I hate him, I'm um, this and that, whatever. And I, and I just said to her straight out, blunt, He says, I want to leave him. I said, well, that's up to you. If you want to leave him, you can leave him. But remember one thing. If you're suffering this much now, when you leave him, then you've left your cross, then God will give you that much suffering. So if you find it hard to endure this suffering in this marriage, then when you leave, you'll have more suffering because you left your cross. And that's what happens. That's spiritual law. Like there's mathematics law. One and one is two, Well, the same in spiritual law. Spiritual law is when you leave your cross, then God will give you a heavier one. And I said to her, do you want to be saved? Do you want to be saved? If you want to be saved, then have some patience. And then ring, 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 hello. Oh, you know, I did what you said. I was much nicer. And now he's crying and he's, and he's really repentant and he's, and he's actually a changed person. I go, oh, so you're going to divorce him because of your mouth. Sometimes when people say things, they make it w- worse than what it is. A lot of times it's not even what they're saying. And that's why when you speak to the... A woman once rang me rang up and said to me... Um, uh, no, a man, sorry, said to me, my wife, oh, she's like a nun. I go, really, yeah, she just prays all the time, um, doesn't even sleep with me. And I go, like, oh, she must have lost, and I thought to myself, I've got to speak to this woman, this is very serious. Like, you know, that she got carried away and must have thought that she was an ascetic or something. And um, so I spoke to the woman... I said, so I didn't want to tell her that what her husband said because it would cause trouble. I said to her, so how are you going with the fasting? She goes, oh, I can't barely even fast. I go, oh, how much prayer do you do? She goes, about 10 minutes. Okay, but I thought to myself, the way he was saying it, he was saying it as if she's praying all night, doing all these fasts. And then he said to me, because he, he said to me, his words were, I'm married to a nun. And then I realized that the person wasn't well. He imagined it in his head. Completely different. So, thanks God that I actually uh, kind of checked. And that's how it is a lot of times, each person exaggerates or makes up things in their head. Like a woman was saying to her relatives, My husband does nothing, I do everything. I do everything. he does nothing, and then later on, we find out that he was cooking, washing the dishes, that he was uh, helping the children, taking the children out, etc, etc, etc and and then we, uh, we realize that the woman wasn 't well as well, making things up because why she said that was because. I think he left her a pot to wash. One pot. And then from that, in her madness, she said, he doesn't help me, even though he was cooking three, four meals during the week. And what? People divorce for no reason. So let's go on here. I advise you, if you want to be saved, I love those words, if you want to be saved, to be patient. It is the advice of our sweetest Jesus Christ, but he who endures to the end will be saved. He's quoting the words of Christ. He who endures what? He who endures in the marriage, for example. That's endurance. Listen, my child, whatever your husband does to you, whether he swears at you or beats you, and Relax for you people until we look at all this. Whether he swears at you or beats you or blasphemes, put up with him and pray and beseech God to enlighten him, to repent and to forgive him. Do not have hate towards him. And when, my child, you throw all your faith, hope and love upon God and continue being patient and praying as Christ prayed for those who crucified him, God will receive your prayer and will deliver you from the great trial and affliction you will be saved and will be granted the kingdom of heaven. You, now, just that part there can cause a lot of the feminists and a lot of people to get upset and say, oh, look, look what this person's saying. How can he be a saint? How can he say to this woman that if he beats you, you're going to endure? And I'm going to answer that soon. Just wait. So I, I, want, I want to teach you something. When you hear things that you disagree with, don't react like a crazy person. Sometimes I read something and go, How is that? We don't reject because that's a sign of pride. We just say, I don't understand. There must be some explanation. There must be something here that I'm not seeing. Wait, be patient, humble. And then God will give his enlightenment to understand something better. You do well, my child, to study religious books. Always study, for the reading of the Holy Scriptures is not only the consolation, but also the salvation of our souls. That's a wonderful advice. He's saying, after he advised her how to deal with her husband, he also says, yes, read books, that's good. Study the Bible. It's not only the consolation, but also the salvation of our souls. St. John Chrysostom says, reading the divine scriptures opens up heaven. And yet, many Orthodox Christians do not read. So we might say, oh, the Protestants read. But at least they read the Bible. Yes, they do. So therefore, we take that and say, well, that's to our condemnation, because we don't A lot of people don't even touch the Bible. That's wrong. That's God's book. A man goes to Iraq, or as Americans say, Iraq. So they go there and he leaves his wife to go and fight. The wife is writing letters to him. I miss you I love you I wish you were here keep safe I pray for you all the time and after his tour is finished like he comes back um, the wife says to him so did you read my my letters he goes oh yeah I looked at them and, uh, and so what did you feel he goes oh I looked at them and read them and yes and well that's it I looked at them and read them and the woman would say well did you reread them? No, I read them once. Sometimes I didn't read them properly. How would that woman feel? Well, I think she'd be very, very upset. Then how is God going to judge us when He has given us His 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 words? And with, we say, oh, I love God or I want to be saved, and we don't even read his word. We don't read anything to do with his, his word because the Bible is his word. That's disdain. That it's like you're disdain. It's like you're saying to God, I haven't got time for you. And he will say, then I will not have time for you on the last day. Number two, the life of Saint Thomas of Lesbos, which is the icon we have here, Now we're coming to the end. Saint Thomas was born on the island of Lesbos, which is present-day what we call Mytilini, from pious and rich parents. Even though she desired to dedicate herself to God in the monastic life, her parents pressured her to marry at the age of 24 to a man named Stephanos. It turned out that this man was a very bad and violent person. In other words, I add, he was a beast. Because of her piety and virtues, her husband beat her severely every day. Despite this, she did all in her power to assist the poor, the sick and the afflicted, even though this made her husband even more angry. However, she bore ill treatment with patience and prayer and rivaled the martyrs in giving thanks to God for the blows and wounds inflicted on her. In return, God made her worthy of the grace of healing and of driving out evil spirits. Her her compassion extended especially towards prostitutes whom she led to conversion by curing their diseases. Saint Thomas gave back her soul to God at the age of 38, having borne the ill-treatment of her husband for 13 years without a word of complaint, and having served Christ daily by doing the good deeds. Forty days after her decease, well, firstly, let's leave it at that, and I'll come back to that in a minute. I found this on a a website, some orthodox website there, and someone wrote back to this website, a a woman there, and this is her answer after reading this life. Why in the world did the Orthodox Church choose this saint as the patron saint of marriage? I usually love your postings. This one left me wanting more information. Thank goodness for the disclaimer or I would have been completely unprepared for the patron saint of marriage to have been in a 13-year abusive marriage. So this, uh, what happened was that the, they wrote a little disclaimer at the end saying the church does not, you know, doesn't approve of men beating their wives, etc. And she said, at least you had that. And now she goes on. Thanks, thank goodness for the disclaimer or I would have been completely unprepared for the patron saint of marriage to have been in a 13-year abusive marriage, dying at the hand of her barbaric husband. No, no, no. Not inspirational today. So she didn't approve, this woman writing to this blog, to this website, and say that she, that she was not inspired today. And then the answer was, from the person that has the website, I'm sorry this story left you uninspired. The church didn't choose her, God did. She has been known to help couples with troubled marriages, perhaps patron saint of marriage, wasn't a good translation. Maybe healer of troubled marriages. See that what this is called the politically correct. You've got to, yeah, you know. Instead of saying to her, you know, like um, humble yourself to this woman, just humble yourself, calm down, and don't judge the church. Perhaps patron saint of marriage wasn't a good translation. Maybe healer of troubled marriage or something would have been more appropriate. And just just so you know, there are many intercessors for marriage that have more uplifting stories. See, when you start to compromise, then later on you lose yourself. So the person writing back goes, that's more uplifting stories. So the life of St. Thomas is not uplifting. Um, If you like, I can look some of them up and email them to you. I have just always loved and admired St. Thomas, and wanted to share her story. So when a priest or a person starts to compromise, starts to always worry about everyone, then we lose ourselves. Now, what did I say before? I said, when we come across something that we don't understand, and we get angry, or we go, that can't be right, shut up, basically, it's what we should do. I take that advice myself. Is that blunt enough? Unlike this woman, oh, perhaps, and she wasn't. Oh, there's the people that are more inspiring than her. So, the problem now comes. This is what I'm trying to say. Elder Philotheos of Vacos, the spiritual child of Saint Nectarius. And, by the way, Elder Philotheos of Vakos is considered one of the greatest spiritual fathers of Greece of the 20th century. He was the spiritual father. He went all around Greece. He was a true confessor, meaning confessor means he was a true spiritual father. He knew how to heal souls which is very rare for a priest. A priest can do confession. That's why I don't like doing it. A priest can do confession, but it's such a delicate thing to be able to heal souls and to know what to say because if you say the wrong thing, you can lose that person and give word. Very big responsibility. Now, in the Greek church, that is only given to priests that are more experienced. In the Serbian church, the, the Russian church, If a person becomes a priest at 21, he's automatically a spiritual father. He can do confessions. So what's a 21-year-old going to be able to do? I'm not sure. And hence the disasters. That's one of the disasters that for, for what happened in Russia. Spiritual guidance, penances had just gone from the Russian church. In Greece it was strong but not in the Russian church. And that caused a lot of problems because, there's, because uh, without proper spiritual guidance and healing from within, the, within confession, it's very difficult for someone to come to Christ. Anyway, so let's go back to this here. How do we look at this? If a woman is being bashed, should she stay? Is that what's is that what's is that what's been said here? If a man, because a lot of men also get abused, and um, this troubled me, because I said to myself, "Okay, I can understand where this woman's getting confused." Now I've got to explain this to a, to, to to people, and I was at a loss. I just didn't really understand and go well. Personally, for me, if a woman is being beaten like that, I would not uh, tolerate it, especially when children are involved. Children, I will not at all. Now, I don't... um, And this gave... This presented a big problem for me. But what did I do? Did I start getting aggressive and upset and, and saying that the church is wrong? But how can the church be wrong? Let me, let me finish the life of St. Thomaeus to see what God gave this woman. Forty days after her decease, a great many miracles began to happen at her tomb for those who came to it with faith. Her holy relics were uncovered and placed in a precious shrine inside the church of the monastery at which her mother was abbess. Her mother became an abbess. Her body was incorrupt. And her precious hands could be seen could, sorry, and on her precious hands could be seen the wounds from her husband. So that woman answered correctly in the beginning, the, the, the lady that had the blog there that we don't make saints, God does. God did reward her. God did glorify her. God gave, gave this big gift for her relics to being corrupt. And for her to do miracles because she endured from the the husband. The question comes then does that mean that if someone is being abused to the point that their life is in danger, should they stay? Because Christ said that the only time we can divorce for a person is for adultery. And the answer to that will be discussed in the next talk. (laughs) Because, um, one, I need to gather more information. I need to think about it more. I've got ideas. I also wrote to someone overseas and he wrote back and gave a very good answer. um, I've been thinking about it a lot. And the next talk will be about when does the church allow divorce? We're going to discuss second marriages, third marriages. We're going to speak about when the spouse is like an unbeliever. Does a person have a right to leave that person if they are unbeliever? If the person's obstructing them in their orthodoxy? Do they stay? Do they go? I can't answer that in a few minutes. A lot of times when I'm, when I'm, when I'm preparing a talk and I come to some part which troubles me and I say, how am I going to explain that? How am I going to... Because I don't like giving information which a person can have a wrong understanding. That's why a lot of people say to me, I really like the talks, because you explain it. It doesn't leave room for a person to argue. So when I give this answer, I want to be able to give it in a way that a person in their heart will feel that this is the correct answer, this is what the church teaches, instead of saying to you what I personally feel or get a bit of information here and there and say, Well, this is what. No, that's not how it works. This topic here, it needs a lot of thinking, prayer, and God's enlightenment to find the correct material to be able to present it. Okay, stand up. Uh, uh, through the prayers of our Holy Fathers, Lord Jesus Christ, the God of mercy, save us. Amen.